are back. You're listening to You Would Think, the Philadelphia Flyers podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Collington, and joining me today, the one and only Mr. Kevin Durso. How are you, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? I'm doing all right. First uh, first two-week break of our, <laughs> our new off-season schedule. I just wanted to mention that off the top. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Twitter at YWT Podcast. Follow Kevin at Kevin underscore Durso. Got to do it early, right? Get the engagement. <laughs> yes, we do. All right. So diving right in. Um, we don't really have a ton of Flyers news to talk about today. We'll talk about the draft lottery results in a little bit. A lot of today's show is going to be about the NHL playoffs, but we are going to start with a pretty significant piece of, I'll call it Flyers adjacent news. It's it's something the Flyers could be involved in. Certainly. Right. Uh, recently, I, I don't remember the exact day, but it was about a week ago now, a surprising story came out, and it was the fact that the New York Islanders were firing Barry Trotz. Right. And so Barry Trotz hits the free agency market, and immediately Philadelphia's name comes up. Right? I, I said it in our group chat. If Chuck Fletcher's not on the phone with Barry Trotz or his representation, by the end of the day, he needs to be fired. Right. Now, I, I, I will start by saying pretty quickly that day, I think Pierre Lebrun had the report that he's taking Barry Trotz is taking time to contemplate the future, right. whether he wants – there's a lot of speculation that he wants to be – a um translation he he's going to wait and see if anybody else fires their coach so he well, has as many of, options yes, as possible see other, but there's there's been speculation that he may want to be you know maybe an executive instead of a coach per se and okay. where where things go i will say for the like to this point he's going to be turning 60 yeah so. he's, and he's been a remarkably successful coach he's achieved everything there is to achieve in the sport and he's and he's been in the league for a long time. Obviously, right. I mean, we'll, I'm going to go through all that because there's we're going to have to define it anyway. To, um, you know, just to kind of break down the possibility of if he's a fit for this team because, you know, th- that kind of stuff and sure, you know, all that. So uh, the reason that he even comes up at all is because of the fact that at this given moment today, there are only four teams that truly have a coaching vacancy. Now, one of them being the team that just let him go, who is not in play, obviously. Right. That's the one team that should not be contacting him because of the fact that you just moved on from him. You had him. You moved on. There's no right. chance he's going back. Okay. So the other three are Philadelphia, Detroit, and Winnipeg at the moment. There are interims in place in various locations, but kind of, you know, and not to segue too far to the playoff stuff two of the there's two teams that have interim head coaches that are also now going to be part of the second round that we're going to discuss i highly doubt that those teams are going to be looking for another coach's services just just out of curiosity and we'll talk about this more in our playoff breakdown later yes or no answer one word we can move on sure does toronto have a coaching vacancy within the next two weeks or so do I have to answer this now, or yeah. I wanted to save this no. until the we'll, playoffs? We'll, no breakdown, just a yes or no, and we'll touch on it later. I'm not giving you a straight yes or no answer, but I'll, no, here's the answer I will give you. Okay, I think so. Okay, is that and fair? Like, absolutely. I'm not and we going will to talk definitively about that at... say yes, it's going to happen. And I like... will say, I think there's a, po- I think there's a strong possibility that that is the biggest change that they could make in the immediate. I agree, and we'll touch on that a little bit later on. Like I mentioned, probably the back half of the show is going to be but all I, playoff but stuff. And if that's the case, since we're already on the subject, because you already mentioned the team that we're talking about, 
if you really want to know the person who probably wants that job more, he's not technically a free agent yet, but he could be. If you've okay. heard from the speculation, it's Bruce Boudreaux. I've Boudreaux heard that Bruce Boudreaux has made it known that he would like to return. I believe they have firmed that up that he's going to be returning this year. Certainly, but the the possibility like there's all sorts of possibilities and something something could the other thing that kind of has to come into play with this is until the Toronto job is truly vacant then it's not a possibility anyway. So all of a sudden what you think is for sure and certain meaning Oh yeah, he's going to return to Vancouver because it was a two-year contract. He's got the he's already locked up for it. Why would anything change? Well, right. the Toronto job what may not may be available tomorrow and wasn't available yesterday. And that's, that's one of those things. Happens, yep. you know? I mean, it's as simple as that. So I, I'm just telling you, I've heard that name come up when it came to Toronto specifically. Okay, I can well, tell you and- right now that for Barry Trotz, if we're if we're talking logistically. Winnipeg is a natural fit. Well, and I was just about to mention, in a similar way that Bruce Boudreaux may have some uh, pre-existing reasons to want to coach in Toronto, Barry Trotz is a Manitoba boy. You know, there's yeah. there's reason to believe he may want to go spend some time as a head coach of the Winnipeg Jets, given personal you know personal life. And you know, if that's where Barry Trotz ends up, and that's why Barry right. Trotz ends up there can't really fault the guy, right? It's the same reason I'm not going to give Claude Drew a hard time if he wants to go sign in Ottawa for a couple of years. I'm never going to give somebody a hard time for wanting to go home. Right. Uh, that being said, please come to Philadelphia, Barry. All right, here's here's the whole thing in a nutshell for me. Because when this, first of all, and you kind of touched on it already because you, you called it, uh, uh, you mentioned that it was a surprising announcement. Yeah, yeah, it caught me off guard. Because none of it made sense in reality. The Islanders missed the playoffs by 16 points. Oh, right. They also didn't start the season with any sort of balance between home and away. And their first home game was something like November 18th when right. the season started because, in because mid-October. The building, because the building wasn't ready. Yep. So that was the first part of the problem. Through no fault of the boys on the ice. You know, um, so you got that, part, that, that aspect of it. Then you've got midway through the year, COVID hit the team. They had to play through it for part of it, so they're playing with half of a roster. And it's it's pretty well accepted throughout the league that they got the worst of it in terms of cases when, versus games canceled. Oh, yes, absolutely. And then when they did finally start, they canceled that two-week stretch. They started canceling some of the games and moving them down the line. Well, now... The Islanders had so many games to make up later on that they were now in even a more condensed schedule than they were before, which good luck coming back from that when you already were off on the wrong foot, so to speak. Right. Like, there's a lot of, you know, this, if there was any year, like, we talked about this when we talked about the Flyers end of year media stuff and what Chuck Fletcher said and all that stuff, right? You don't want to hear excuses. Right. If there was ever a team in a year to put the two and two together and say, listen, you can rest on excuses, the Islanders had it. Right. In in the 21 season, it's weird calling a season with just one year, but in the 21 season, um, you had the Dallas Stars, right? And they kind of had some similar COVID issues, and then they right. had the, the whole Texas uh, winter storm, and the grid was frozen, and blah, blah, blah. 
they got a little bit of a pass last year kind of from the hockey community. Right. And I think from a lot of people in the hockey community, the Islanders were going going to be given a similar pass this year. And it turns out Lou Lamorello doesn't particularly think that way. Uh, and I don't right. get it because the two previous years, you go to the Eastern Conference Finals. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I know the goal is winning the cup, and he ultimately failed to do that during his tenure in the in on Long Island. But he made you relevant again. So there's there's two things for me with with what you're saying. Because number one, great point bringing up Dallas. Because if you look at where Dallas is right now. Why wouldn't you use that as a point of reference and say, listen, chalk it up as a bad year. Count on the bounce back. back the next year with yep. a lot of the same players and a lot of the same talent. Right. Matt Barzell's not getting worse. Right. And then on top of that, what you're talking about with, you know, you're talking about, oh, they didn't achieve the ultimate goal. Right. Right. Well, gee, you know what? I don't really fault you for running into the reigning back-to-back defending champs. Both times. And coming up. Two games and one game short. The game six that they lost was in overtime, and the game seven was a one nothing final, I believe, or one nothing. Yeah, game. where Andre Vasilevsky played right stands on his head and doesn't absurd hockey. That's a theme we'll touch on again later. By the right. way, Andre Vasilevsky standing on his head in a game seven. Right, but that's exactly isn't that exactly the point that like, geez, you know, gee, I'm really sorry you didn't win a game seven against a team that went on to win the Stanley Cup and has been notably you know, loaded with talent and capable of getting that the, done. The best team of the cap era. Let's right. just say it. You've gone up against the single best team of the cap era, and that includes the 2008 Detroit Red Wings. That includes the 2009 Pittsburgh Penguins. That includes, well, like... there's two things. No, there's two things for me. They are probably, yes, the best. Talent-wise, they're the best team of the cap era. I agree with that. Okay. They are also the most strategic with the cap that I think I've ever seen in terms of how they navigate it according to the no, according to what's legal. Right. Right? I'm like I, I said this last year when they won and everybody won and you know, Kucherov said what he said and brought up the eighteen million thing, whatever. And it's like, listen, don't hate the player, hate the game. Yep. The game says you can do that. And guess what? A lot of the funny part is how many teams tried. So, so to speak, not tried completely for an entire season. Vegas tanked their season trying to do it. Vegas had somebody on LTIR all year. And Vegas did not ice. Vegas did not ice a healthy roster the entire season and missed the playoffs by what two points? Uh, it might have been a little more than that by the end, but it was close. Oh, yeah. Sure, but it down the stretch, where they're playing games where yes, every point matters, right and it's one of those things. If you got your your lineup the whole season. Maybe you win an extra game. Maybe you get those two points. Right. If Mark Stone doesn't get surgery or pushes it off for a week or like whatever you want to call it, right? it's tough so, to do what Tampa did. It's it's tough to do what they did. It's tough to do what they're doing right now, which we'll get into. Like It's an incredibly impressive team, no question about it. After the first round, I'm picking them to win. They're done. Three-peat. Okay. Well, we're going to get into where we are with all of this stuff. Yep. Um, you know, to me, with when it comes to trots, and because we got to get back, let's get it back. Yeah, to that absolutely. A bit. Um, you know, it, it it a lot of it goes against everything I kind of have said all along, which was, and I like we I think we talked about this when Elaine Pinot was fired to begin with, when they were going with an interim, when we were wondering where they go from there, all that type of stuff. Um, you know. The last thing I think you know, it, there's a part of me that goes. The last thing I think that they need 
is a coach that brings expectations. Expectations in terms of look at the longevity of winning. Like uh, the team's employed, and I think I actually wrote this, they've employed five of the top 15 coaches all time in wins at different points in franchise history, none of which are the one that actually won a Stanley Cup for the Flyers. Right. They've won cups for other teams. Mike Keenan's won a cup for other teams. Peter Laviolette won a cup in Carolina, you know, that kind of thing. So you got like, you know, Keenan was with the Rangers. Lavi was with with uh, Carolina. Carolina. He won. Yep. You know, Vigneault has gotten two teams, two different teams to a cup final, just never won it. Um, you're talking about and who else was I thinking, was I thinking of in this group? Uh, Pat Quinn is the other. Okay. One. And 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 let's and look, you know, you can also sit there and look at certain ones of that grouping and go with the Flyers. They got on the cusp. Keenan teams made the cup final and, you know, a Pat Quinn team made the cup final. A, pa- a Peter Laviolette team made the cup final. Um, uh, Ken Hitchcock's the other one who I'm thinking of, too. And okay. Hitchcock did win a Stanley Cup with Dallas yep. and didn't make a cup final with the Flyers, but came darn close. You sure know, did. you know, wh- wh- you know, why is everything come back to the Tampa Bay Lightning in this episode? <sighs> you know, it's all coming back. To That's Tampa. that series still hurts. And I have a little bit of a. In 04. I have a little bit of a bone to pick with the city of Tampa Bay just because of the year 2004. Cause, <laughs> I man, hear you there. Tell me you don't see Joe Juravicious running down the sideline. Come on now. Oh, come on. Of course. Right. But, so, know. Barry Trotz. Okay. So, he, what I was trying to get at is that because yeah. Barry, Barry Trotz is third all time in coaching wins. It's the last thing that the team probably needs is a guy, and, and again, a Stanley Cup winner. In Washington, it's the last thing you need is to bring in the guy who ranks third all time in wins. And not only that, but I do want to point out that before his name even hits the free agent market in that sense, there are others who are pretty much part of that list in terms of, you know, I I think they're either in the top 15 or dangerously close to the top 15 in wins that are just out there and available in terms of, you know, we've heard John Tortorella's name already. We've heard or not heard, but the other names that you can go down the list and go, they've been there. They've been there for the taking for how long, you know, right? Claude Julian's been on that list. Mike Babcock, you know, it, Joel Quinville for whoever wants to take that jump, which, which, by the way, totally wouldn't do it if I'm the Flyers because the last thing you need is, is more bad PR than you already got this season. But yep, might as somebody, well trade for Slavovoinov. But somebody's probably going to do it at some point. You know it's yep. coming. Like oh, absolutely. Someone's going to be the team that goes. We're going to try with this and get him reinstated and all that stuff. But he's the point is that it's still. I don't know if I'd be surprised if Lou Lamorello was the one doing that. There's some. I'm trying to think of who else could could eventually fit in. Come on, you're in Long Island. You got the mafia running around. You can clear that. <laughs> you can clear that red tape real easy. Come on. I mean, there's a look. There's a, there's a lot of possibilities. We know this. There's a lot well, of possibilities that I, exist. But either way, I think to- it's worth I think it's worth noting. Uh, getting back on Barry Trotz here, uh, on the, one of the more recent uh, Thirty Two Thoughts podcast, something that we've mentioned a lot here on the show. Uh, they're putting out a lot of episodes, so I don't know exactly which episode it was, but it was the episode right after Trotz got fired. Right. And uh, Elliot Friedman suggested that there is a strong possibility that the Philadelphia Flyers, quote, back up the Brinks truck. Right. And now, again, obviously it comes down to Barry Trotz, and if he thinks that this roster has what it takes to win, and if he wants you know, wants to go home to Winnipeg, if he wants to go move into the front office, you know, even further up the, the, the management chain somewhere, it's kind of up to him at that point, but We've talked about it a lot here. It certainly seems like the Philadelphia Flyers are going to be willing to, you know, 
write that blank check that we heard so much about. They should be because it's t- first of all, it's it, it's organizational malpractice if you don't look at a coach that's available like that and not make the phone call. I agree. It's that's just wrong. If you don't even bother to make the attempt, you're not doing your due diligence. Right now, if if you make the attempt and the coach says, "Yeah, no thanks," all right, then look that that that's the risk you take. If Barry Trotz wants to go, like you got to respect the fact that if Barry Trotz wants to kind of take the fast route, fast route to, you know, winning in some way, it's probably not in Philadelphia. And okay, fine, he'll probably. Quite frankly, I don't think it's in Winnipeg either. But it's closer in Winnipeg than it is. In Philadelphia, and I would, you know, to be Detroit honest, Detroit might be the best bet. Detroit in terms is not a bad fit either because they do have young talent. Correct, man, they sure do. Do you want Barry Trotz coaching Mo Sider? Hello. The okay. The only thing I will say for Winnipeg, and this is this is something that is a basis for a lot of what gets said about Barry Trotz. Winnipeg definitely has an elite goaltender. That's Fair. always kind of a key aspect of a Barry Trotz team. That is true. They've, and and they've he, he's found an incredible way to make good goaltenders look elite. What's he going to do with Connor Hellebuck, a guy who's already elite? Well, then it should, it should just keep going. Like, yep. And I know what you're talking about. Like, and, and in fairness to him, like in fairness to Barry Trotz in this case, you know, when he starts coaching in Nashville and it's brand like literally day one. Okay, you, you don't know what you've got yet. So there's a few years before the first player worthy of his jersey getting retired by the franchise steps into place and you go, look at the goaltender they have here. Look at this guy, Pecorine. And that changes the game, right? When he went to Washington, you had a young budding goaltender in Braden Holpe who he took to the next level at that point, at that particular time. For those four years that Barry Trotz was the coach, you didn't have any questions about who the goaltender was. Braden Holpe was incredible. Right. And then... You know, I get what you're saying when it comes to kind of it with the Islanders because, sure, Semyon Varlamov was a good goaltender. You know, I don't know. I would not put him in the elite category. And he turned him into a goaltender who was putting up elite-level numbers. Sure. Or he or he at least created a system that and instilled a system that led to elite-level numbers for his goaltender. Then you also get the embarrassment of riches to an extent where every team, so many teams, not every team, but so many teams, seem to have a young goaltender who is going to be part of this next wave of very popular all-star level goaltenders. And Ilya Sorokin was part of that deal. And, you know, let's this way. Thomas Grice can thank Barry Trotz for the couple of years before Sorokin really established himself. So can Robin Leonard, by the way. Yeah, Robin Leonard, too, for getting Robin Leonard, you forget, Robin Leonard had his breakout season on the island. Barry Trotz has made Robin Leonard a lot of money. Well, because when, when Trotz took over... Varlamov was still in Colorado, I believe. Yep. And then, look, everything starts to shift around, and they ended up like they ended up with that grouping. We know, like, and this is the thing: we know the grouping, like that it kind of became because of the fact that, you know, he basically had Trotz had the uh, had the Varlamov Sorokin combination okay. for the last two seasons. The year before that, Grice was the one A. I mean, that for. More than half of the season, like I'm talking like in an 82 game year, which, yeah, I get it. They didn't really have 82 for a couple of these. I know, but Fair. It was pretty much an equal, you know, Varlamov gets one, Sorokin gets the other. Or Varlamov yep. gets one and Grice gets it. Like, He's a big workload like, management guy. He is. 
And that could certainly come in handy in any, in any city if he's got two. Like, depends on who it is, but it could come in handy no matter who you're talking about, right? Like, um, I think it's still Laurent Brossois backing up Hellebuck up in Winnipeg. Oh, and, and I'm sure one, he did yeah, a little fist I mean, bump because Connor Hellebuck's a 65 start kind of guy. Right, but then you but you have to ask yourself, and this is kind of another piece of news that we can just kind of squeeze in here when it comes to the yeah. Flyers thing because of the fact that you got to ask yourself, it's Carter Hart and because it could be Felix Sandstrom or it could be, you know, it could be Ivan Fedotov. It could be Ivan Fedotov. That is a that is a name that like, we saw pop up since our last show. Right. And here's the thing. They got the contract done. The I think he'll start in Lehigh Valley. Right. Well, and here's but the assumption with the contract being done is there's going to be no issues getting him over here. Right. Which means that if Which is generally here, a pretty big assumption, let's be honest. It can be. Right now it's for where he was playing, it's a massive assumption. But mm-hmm. I don't feel like you would state in your press conference at the end of the year it's pretty much going to happen in the that next few days, them. and he should be able to compete for the like for the backup job right away. No, a you don't you don't say that, and then two you don't actually have the contract done. Right, a week, you're, you're speaking pretty later. confidently. Right. Well, let's <laughs> let's not necessarily assume that it's done because do you really trust anything this organization says? I, uh, not like to a deep would it, level. Would I, it really surprise you if they were just overly cocky that they were going to get Fedotov and it turns out it's no, not quite as I, easy as I, that? No, no, because I think that there's more to it than just, hey, this, hey the contract signed. Like, there was a picture. I understand. Because like, well, here's the other part of the equation. There was a picture that went out of him signing said contract. Okay. And I don't think that the picture comes from like hey i think like someone who was with him took the picture of him signing this thing right faxed over it looked like he was almost already here okay so i think that there's a way to make it work like in terms of they'll they'll fit like the logistics of this are not an issue it just comes down to when training camp starts who looks more ready for the job i think sandstrom can do it i'd love to see what you know because here's the thing about fedotov you, you can't really argue with a guy who's with a goalie who's six seven six eight ish, you know, somewhere in the middle, I guess, and you know, has that kind of build. Like, I hear I hear six seven six eight goaltenders and start getting shades of Vasilevsky. Not in terms of talent level, but just the guy looks massive just in goal. Well, of course, he looks you know like he right. looks massive, and that's partially equipment. But he's whenever I hear big you know, goaltender, the first name that always pops into my head is Ben Bishop. Oh, is that what you, do you know what I think of when I see goaltenders who are like, and I, I think that I, I'm trying to remember what his height was. I think it was something like six, seven ish or something. Same. Like ben that. Bishop was six, six. I'm pretty sure. Well, no, the guy I'm thinking of was the first one I remember that was like that was Steve Valaket. Okay. Valaket was massive and there weren't goalies built like that at that time. No, like that was a very new thing that has become almost the norm. And if you get a guy who's. If he, let's just say you get a guy built like Carter Hart. It's a little bit of out of the norm because you're like a six-two goalie. Okay, right. He's a little on the small side. Right. He's almost on the small side at right. six-two. Um. All right. So, do but, we have anything else on Barry Trotz? Or? Yes, because I didn't really okay. kind of get into the heart of yeah why they should do it because it, it like I said, it kind of goes against everything I've been saying. Don't do. Don't hire the guy with all the with with a long history of winning games. Don't hire the a previous Stanley Cup champion. Don't do this stuff, right? Um, the reason why I take not only take a flyer on him, but I pursue, you know, this is who I write the blank check for. This is where you go big. 
he's got a track record. I already brought up kind of the Nashville thing because in Nashville, you got to take a team that's nothing. It's right. literally starting from day one. And what, it, like, t- right now today, and I know we're, we're going to get into the playoff stuff in a little bit later on, but when we get into the playoff stuff, and we, I, we're going to mention they're not in the playoffs anymore, but when you think of Nashville in May of 2022, what do you think? I, right now it's Juicy Soros, but just because of well, how stellar he's playing. Right, um, but I'm, but, I'm talking about in, in general, like the state well, of their franchise, I'll, not I'll, in terms of talent. But I'll go further than that. For the last close to 10 years, mm-hmm. the Nashville Predators have been defined by basically their big four. And for the longest time, it was Roman Yossi, mm-hmm. Ryan Ellis, Matthias Ekholm, and wait, don't tell me. Who's the fourth guy? Oh, God. I know it was Ekholm, Ellis, Yossi, and... Well, for a few years. For a minute, it was Ryan Suter. For a while, it was Shea Weber. For a while, it was P.K. Subban. Yeah, fair enough. I'm just going to... Right, it was, it was that grouping. Okay, yeah. this is where I was trying to go. I know what you're doing. Like You're breaking down the state of like the players and stuff like that. What I'm right. getting at is, is that in May of 2022, I hear Nashville Predators and I go, it's a legit hockey city now. Oh, absolutely. And... But that doesn't happen without Barry Trotz being the guy that you lean on as the control of your player group. Hey, I'm going to guide you there. Like, I have to be your guide. I have to make line combinations, put the right guy in the lineup, all that type of stuff, right? It take, he, nobody coaches for that long in one spot anymore. No, it really is crazy how much in Nashville can be attributed, how much in Nashville's can, success can be attributed to the fact that they just hired people and stuck with them. Like David Poyle has, is literally the only, only GM, GM in Nashville Predators had. history. Yes. What GM lasts more than three or four years? GMs usually for GMs five or six. I go four or five usually. Coach, but coaches who lasts more than three to four? If sure, four. exactly. And he was there for what? Fifteen years. Right. Like that's unheard of. It, that will never happen again. That. And they weren't particularly good for most of those years. Actually, hold on a minute. I don't want to say it'll never happen again because there is one coach right now that I can think of. Dave Haxtell in Seattle. No, come on. You know the real answer, though, right? Wait, wait, wait. John Cooper? Yes. Okay. Because John Cooper's already been there for eight. Yeah. And you're possibly on the path to a three-peat here. He's not going anywhere. What do you mean? What do you mean? Possibly, they're doing it. I said it earlier in the show. That's you. Okay, that's you. We'll talk. (laughs) We're gonna get into that later. Um. All right. Either way. so I think you and I both agree that Trotz would be worth the money and the Flyers should he, probably go after money, him. But like, the reason I'm saying is because, okay, you take a team like Nashville from day one. It's not a hockey town yet. you got to build the whole culture, and he does over the course of 15 years. You go to Washington. Yep. Washington's a team that they can't get past second round. They just can't get past second round. They get, yep. at, the t- at the time that he takes over the job, they've got one of the two best players in the world because it's still, it's still a little bit pre-McDavid Matthews time. They're, yep. they're still so new. You can't jump on it yet. And Ovi was still ridiculous. Right. Well, he, he still is, to be honest. But we, I know you're right. He's one. He was one of the top two players in the world at that point because it was literally. He was, was always, still dominant. It was because it was always Ovechkin Crosby. You know, that was the that was the combination. It was yep. just whatever they met. That was Nathan McKinnon had just started kind of sneaking his way, starting to right. sneak into that conversation. Right. But either way, it, you know, he takes a team that doesn't get past that level and what's the biggest thing that he did? Convinces a guy like Alex Ovechkin that playing defense matters. And as soon as it got through his head, they won a Stanley Cup. 
And he probably would have never been the head coach of the New York Islanders if the Washington the Washington Capitals decided said, to pay him. Right, just said, we'll pay you whatever you want. Pay that man his right, money. Right. They did not. So Barry Trotz ends up with the New York Islanders. Here's the thing about when he ends up with the New York Islanders. He ends up on a team that at the time, I think at that point when he joined the team, they had won one playoff series in the, in almost t- like two decades or something like that, or a little over two decades. One playoff series. And they also, that particular offseason, lost the franchise player. Yep. He up and left. That's it. I'm Just going straight home. walked for nothing. I'm going home. That's what he basically said. I'm going back to my hometown. He leaves. He's the most iconic player the franchise has had since their Stanley Cup dynasty. The fans revolt. Right. They're going crazy about this. And he takes a team that just lost its star player. And they win a playoff series in year one. And quite frankly, not many people, including myself, predicted them to make the playoffs that year in a very competitive metropolitan division. Like, they they weren't expected to. they were a surprise. Right. Well, and then, so then the two years after that, we just talked about it. You go up and get to within, you know, you're in overtime of game six against the team that's going to finally win the Stanley Cup. And then they, you're back in the same situation. Eastern Conference final. Well, you know. By the way, I had to get through the Flyers to get there. Yes. Game seven in the bubble, Oscar Lindblom's return. Right. And again, you get really close. So the first, like they did this at the first sign of any adversity whatsoever in a really fluky kind of year where literally every bad card you could be dealt was handed to you. Yep. And they just, you know, and I, I felt like this was an ego thing from Lou Lamarillo. This was a, listen, I'm, I'm right and everybody else is wrong and I'm doing this because I can, you know. And okay. I don't think that's the right decision. I think, like, I think the Islanders are a little right now today. The Islanders are worse off for this decision. I agree. They might, they might hire somebody else, and it might change things down the road. I can't say that it, it, it will or won't. We have so to see I believe he has won the Jack Adams. But I'm going to ask you: Is Barry Trotz the best coach in the league? Full stop. <sighs> the best coach in the league? Yeah. Mm, I mean, I I'm mean, not going to go in the world because I don't. Know. Yeah, but. I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say he's the top. I'll give him top three. He's in that elite group because okay. if if you ask me, we already wait. Let me guess. Uh, John Cooper and I mean Trotz might be number two if you're asking me seriously. Okay, like, is John it Cooper just is, is it Cooper and Trotz and it's a two horse race? I'm trying to think of anybody. Like I'm just running down kind of in my head who else would fall in line. With I that. hate to Somebody... say it. Does Mike Sullivan make that list? Yeah, probably kind of right now. I mean, from a but he, from, I think he's a third to be fair. Well, right, but from a standpoint of longevity meeting results, it's getting pretty darn close. Okay. I think I that's mean, fair. I'm not re- like if if we're talking specifically with one team, like there are co- I think Bruce Cassidy has a case as well. The only reason okay, and the only reason he loses to Mike Sullivan is because he doesn't have the finish line. I agree, and like, that's why I said he's in the race, and I, I think he's more of a top five kind of I guy. Mean, like, if if like, here's the scary thing: Do you want like, and I'm not joking when I say this is kind of a scary thought, but you know who ranks pretty darn high up there right now? Okay, Craig Berube probably. No, from a sure. standpoint of no, from a standpoint of what kind of level of success have you had and longevity with the same team? It lines up right now. Most Especially because those, those St. Louis Blues don't look bad. Most of these coaches currently in the NHL have not coached their current team for much more than two or three years at most. And Baruby, yeah, there's been Baruby, a lot of turnover. Ruby won a cup in his like first half year, 
latched on from there and has now since re-signed, so it's going to be longer. Maybe The, the old, the old guy, Matt Murray. And he, okay, and another guy who probably falls in line with this, and again, you know, playoff success needing to be a little bit more before he gets higher on the list. But someone who's starting to earn the longevity part of this, Rod Brindamore. Oh, yeah. He's starting to earn the longevity portion because he's been there for a while. If Rod gets, if Rod gets a cup as a coach there, first of all, they anoint him in Raleigh. Second of all, um, he isn't already. I he's pretty I mean, close. He was the captain of the team that did win the cup. He's like, pretty close, man. He's Florida there, Bobby. Won. He's there, Bobby Clark, in a lot of ways. Kind of, yeah. I, well, no, the old no. I'll t- no. I'll tell Except you. Bobby who, didn't coach them to uh, you know playoff no, success. I'll, I'll tell you who their Bobby Clark is if you're being really serious because he was on the cup team anyway. He just wasn't the captain of it. It's Eric Stahl. Okay, fair. Eric Stahl was the homegrown. Look who we got from the from day one. But, okay, to, you know. But if Rod coaches there for twenty years and brings four cups home, yeah, he'll be the guy. He right. he is definitely on the Carolina Hurricanes Mount Rushmore at right. this but, point. But like he has. Oh, to be. oh sure. You know, he, he, oh boy. So do we, do we really have to do this right no, now? No, we'll get into. Maybe we'll do Mount, some Mount Rushmores over the summer. That's well, no, like a reason, fun show topic. The reason why I'm not saying do we have to get into this now is not be, is because of which team you pick. Because two of them that belong on the Mount Rushmore played here first. I know, no. Rod Brindamore belongs to Carolina. I, I would I, love to claim I him. Didn't, I didn't say he was a Mount Rushmore level player in Philadelphia, but he did. No, play I understand. Here first. That's all I'm saying. He played here first. It could have I, been here. I understand, but he belongs to Carolina. Oh, he does. He's done too much for that team, that city. Well, the other guy who I was going to put on the Mount Rushmore anyway belongs to Carolina too, and to me, because Justin Williams belongs to Carolina. Yeah, and again, that barely counts. He played what a, two years in Philly. Doesn't matter. He still played here. Come on. He was he was a flyer draft pick. Come on. He was a flyer draft pick. This all right. Speaking of time. flyers draft picks, yes, that's a good segue, isn't it? That is a fantastic segue. So <laughs> we did have the draft lottery last week. Uh, the Flyers ended up slipping one spot from fourth to fifth, and end up with the fifth overall pick in the twenty twenty two draft. Like I said, we will talk about this as we get a little closer. We'll have some time after the playoffs, and we'll do at least one pre-draft show and kind of break down some options here. But uh, so I'll throw this out here. I'll throw you up a softie because we talked about it right before the show. Right. Hey, Kevin, if you had to put money on it, do you think the Philadelphia Flyers end up making this fifth overall suge- uh, selection? Okay, I love how you're just teeing it up this way, as if you know, it's, you know, as a question as opposed to, you know, the statement of fact that I know it is. No, because of the fact <laughs> that what I really want to tell people then is instead of you teeing it up like that, the thing happened, the lottery happened. I saw where they were picking, and I immediately texted the group chat and said they're not keeping this pick. No, I agree. That was just my gut, like it was an initial gut feeling from seeing it. I have a gut feeling this pick is getting traded. Now, now, and again, this is something we can break down kind of moving forward. We want to spend a ton of time on it here and now. Um, do you think this is a trade-down situation, or are they trading this piece for like a major asset? It's a tough call because let's put it this way. There's two, there's two things that come into the factor into this right now. Number one is what, what would potentially be available for a pick in the top five, like and I'm not talking about other pick wise. Like, if you were to make try to make a legitimate hockey trade, 
and use that pick to get something in the here and now that's already established that immediately goes on your team. It's going to okay. be hard to do because you don't exactly have cap space to do it, but you know, I digress with that. There's plenty of time at the draft to determine whether or not you're going to keep going, right? Like you don't need to worry about what the final pick cap picture looks like on draft day. You need to worry about that when free agency's over and all that stuff. Um so that's one thing is what's available like in terms of if you would make a legit hockey trade or not. The Question for thing, you. Okay. You're Chuck Fletcher. Yes. Vancouver calls. Okay. We'll let you negotiate the contract first, but would you trade the fifth overall pick for Brock Besser? Tempting. I mean, I, I don't know if it's... That feels like the kind of name that just makes right. sense. Right, it's got to be a splash. You're not, like, you need to get somebody who is established as... And maybe there's more pieces there. Maybe that's player. not enough for Brock Besser. Right, I don't know. But I'm just throwing that out there as the framework. And I, Well, there's another thing that I want people to kind of just keep in the memory bank for right now given the state of the flyers at the moment and and what like the um the assets and the you know poker chips that they have to play with if you will and that is that chuck fletcher acquired a certain pick in a certain round in another draft year that he might not get to officially use when that time comes, which okay. means that if he's going to use it in any way possible to it's going to be a trade chip. Where the, right. Exactly. Which means the pick that they got for Claude Giroux, which was a 2024 first. I'm not sitting here saying it influences what you do on draft day with this particular pick, but that would also be a trade chip because there's no denying the situation. We've already said as much. He's on the hot seat. Sure, it's he should be. Move in a, it's got to move in a certain direction, or he's going to be part of the, you know, the next round of changes in some way, shape, or form. It's he has going to, to have to be. Has there's, to be because there's not much else you can do. You're going yep. to have a new head coach after this year, so whoever that is, doesn't matter. You're not going to. You're, you're not going to make another change immediately because it's not working with the current coach at that given moment that's not going to be there's no there's no way in hell to me that you, you look at the coach this year and call you know and say you know whatever's happening is a reflection on the coach himself right. if it's not going well it is not a reflection on the coach it's going to be a continued reflection on the roster that was put together and the and whether it's veteran level players who aren't playing up to par whether it's young players who haven't been developed enough or aren't getting that kind of teaching element anymore or whatever it is, you know, that's just what it comes down to. And if, if things look, if all that stuff, like, like we talked about in the last show, if all that hopeful stuff falls into place and things working and the coaching staff, which is again, why Barry Trotz could be a potential fit, because if you're not banking on hope, but if you're looking for someone who kind of gets a lot out of even the most minimal players, I mean, let's this way. To me, the Islanders had the best fourth line in hockey for the previous three years. Yeah, and that line includes Matt Martin, who is not necessarily the most skilled player. Right. So right, we're we're talking about great deployment. We're talking about great coaching. Sure. So, I, I, well, not only that, but then you look at some of the other young guys too. Like you look at how Noah Dobson has trended upward. Barzil was already going to because he's he's like the elite level talent. But they got the most out of a lot of those guys. Bavillier turned into a guy that you were watching as a threat every night. And 
he had an influence on the veteran players, Anders Lee and Brock Nelson, guys who had been around the block with other coaches that suddenly all of a sudden were having some of the best years of their lives. You know, yep. it just happens that way. He so, knows how to squeeze blood from a stone sure. better than any so, coach in history. So <laughs> point being, if Chuck Fletcher's on the hot seat, which obviously he is because your your state the state of your franchise is awful right now. I expect him to take a home run swing. But the the best way to do it might be, hey, I've got the fifth overall pick in twenty twenty two and I got a twenty twenty four first waiting for somebody. Those things to me become trade chips. I can't see how otherwise like I just Yeah, you know, this has I, this has potential to be a very volatile offseason sure and i don't look i don't want to make it sound like they're definitively trading the pick or anything like that because you you can get like the end of the day here's the real answer when it comes to the draft and this is why people who are freaking out about the way that things went first of all yes the lottery was incredibly confusing um you know that's par for the course for the nhl to yeah and it is the first year of the new format so like you got right, to give people a chance to get also used to then it. make the new format be a situation where yes you know in typical you know in a typical situation you should have the full you know the best odds to pick fourth if you were the fourth fourth best odds at the first overall pick then you should have the best odds to pick fourth and instead it was the best odds where you pick fifth how does that work exactly like, leave it to the NHL to make something even more confusing than it has to be, right? I guess, yeah. But either way, there were people getting really, like, frustrated with it and things like that. And at the end of the day, here's the truth of the matter. And it was true the last time the Flyers picked in the top five as much as it is right now. No matter where you pick in the top five or whatever, you're getting a good player. Sure. Good. No, good. What you do from there determines what happens. Now, he could be an elite-level talent, you know, you know the the teams that pick he could on, he could be scratched on a Vegas Golden Knights team that missed the well, playoffs. Well, right. Like my point is, is that but my point where I was going with that was he could be an elite level talent that doesn't like that on natural skill alone turns into a superstar. You know, sometimes you land the Connor McDavid's right. Like there are kids out there that can do just that. Sure. There are also years where you need to see where it goes in terms of, you know, like 2017. Not just with Nolan Patrick, but see where it goes with. Hey, you know, Nico Heischer hasn't made the playoffs yet. Right. All right. You know, you got to work at it. You can't just assume he's going to just jump in and be perfect. You got to work with him. You know, Miro Heiskanen has made the playoffs a couple times. Made he's a made Stanley, Stanley Cup, Cup final. final. You know, just depends on what kind of teaching level and development you have and all that stuff. And then obviously you could also at any point in the top five or otherwise land a guy like Kale McCarr. It's always yeah. possible. Right. And look at the team around them, right? The the sure. team the team around Miro Heiskanen in Dallas is not the same as the team around Nico Hishier in New Jersey. Neither of those teams are the same as the one around Kale McCarr either. Yeah, you're not wrong. Like, that Kale McCarr is a juggernaut. And that all comes back to that was the Eric Carlson trade, correct? Um, yeah, I guess so, yeah. Right. That fourth overall pick that ended up not being top five or top ten protected or anything like that. And no, no, remember, no. Wait, wait, remember wait, that wait. draft lottery? That was crazy. Are you talking about for McCarr? Yeah. No, okay, no, it wasn't. Oh, that's, I know that's not the pick they ended up using on McCarr. Right, no, because you know what okay. happened that year? I remember what happened that year. Colorado was the worst team in the league and should have picked first, and three teams jumped them. Right, 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 right. All I of remember. them weren't. That was the most picks. absurd lottery. Right. That lottery was nuts, and all these teams were jumping places, and Colorado just sat there in fourth. Same thing happened to, to Detroit at least once, right? 
Uh, I think for Detroit, it happened. Um, I think it happened twice. It happened a couple years ago, as recently as a couple years ago. Because yeah, here they got Lucas Raymond fourth overall. They should have had the first pick if it was right. Typical reverse order, and it didn't. Like everything went wrong that because that was the year that the Rangers got oh. the first pick because they they were supposed yeah. to win the Lafreniere sweepstakes. Yep, and they didn't. They ended up they possibly Whoa, ended up the, better off. Yep. Yeah. Well, and I mean, Lafreniere maybe a that's really, a maybe that's a bit a nice of a recurring player. theme. But Lafreniere's got a lot going on around him too. And yeah. Lucas Raymond doesn't. And all right, can we f- right speaking of Lafreniere? Can we can we finally start talking about good teams? We, now? we will. I just what I wanted to sit there and say about okay. the pick thing was is that people. I know people were getting mad about it. You're going to get a good player, and they like they could keep it and look at good players. I'm not going to jump into all the names today. Yeah, I do, we'll do I, that I, closer to the draft. Here, here's the deal: if you keep the fifth pick, strictly stay fifth. You're not getting Shane Wright because even if Shane Wright, because I saw some kind of crazy Twitter buzz today that there were people saying that Montreal may not be sold on him as the first overall pick. We always hear this. We do. No, but here's the thing. Even if he doesn't get picked first, is he really dropping four spots? Never. Absolutely not. No way, shape, or form. As a matter of fact, like to me, I'm not only... I'm not saying I'm not only buying into what like that he's going to be a good player. He's quite possibly the only player who should be playing at the NHL level next season. I I think he probably is in this draft class. There's a real the name that I keep hearing as the number two in this draft is probably Logan Cooley, and then beyond that we mentioned Slavkovsky, who's uh, the Slovak kid who had a great Olympics and all that stuff. I've Um, seen some projections having him go second over Cooley, but either way, they're both kind of that next tier. I'm not. I don't want to take away. Yes, absolutely, and it could go either way. You start to get into the fourth through tenth range, if you will, and the two things that are out there. Well, it's three players, but two things that are out there that could be beneficial to the Flyers if they want to use this type of stuff, right? Like, if they want to use the pick. Is you can either take, there's going to be two right-handed defensemen, which is certainly a help. Or the, uh, and it's the name is, um, what is it, Matt Savoy? Yeah, Matthew Savoy is a very is talented a player. smaller skill kind of guy who could, you know, bring, again, be that type of player. And he's Shades of that Cole Caulfield type type pick. A little less, though, because he plays down the middle, I believe. And because of that, there's... He's a know, little more responsible. Sure. Or there, at least that's the goal, is that there's going to be more responsibility. I mean, look, no matter what, and this is where I keep going with this, they could pick Savoy, they could pick any of these other guys. doesn't matter. He's not playing here next year. Right. And Or shouldn't that, be, at least. No, there's no way. They've got enough. Here's young, the thing, man. They've got enough young guys that are going to be trying to crack the roster. Sh- should know. Nolan Patrick have played day one? Yes, because there was because there was no option in between. No, there was no option in between. I there guess you're one. right. He couldn't was, go back to Brandon. You're right. Because if he went back to Brandon, he would have. It would have actually. He would have been bored. Worse. No, but yeah. it would have made things worse. And the reason it made things worse is because after having two years of whatever the point totals were, I know they were north of a hundred and fifty some odd games or whatever it was. Did, did we need like you know what he would have had end up what he would have ended up with a Morgan Frost year? Yeah, the and dra- like a draft plus one year would have been look at these numbers; these are absurd. He's going to be a superstar at the NHL level. Yeah, but I I wonder if that would have been good for him. Like I Maybe, I, I wonder I, I wonder if playing one more season of fifty something games instead of eighty 
if one more season of being able to dominate as a big fish in a small pond, I, I can't help but play a little hindsight's 2020. Uh, but know, anyway, this is not the Nolan Patrick show. We have a long summer ahead to talk trash about him. <laughs> uh, the Flyers are going to pick fifth overall. We'll do a little bit of a, a more detailed breakdown of who well, we expect to be the there when thing, we get a little closer. The other thing about the draft, and this is why we're going to move on to the next stuff pretty much right now, is because, look, we can sit here and run down names and all that type of stuff, and the bottom line is there's still almost two months until the sure. actually gets used in one way or another. Like, Let's remember that last year when the Flyers traded their first-round pick in the Rasmus Ristolainen deal, that it didn't come down until the day of the draft. Right. Like, you have way too much time to speculate what they're going to do with it, who they could take with it, all that type of stuff. We do not need to do this today on May 15th. We no, just I agree. Do not. So, you know, you know so what we do need? Day, yeah. Like you know what we do need to do today on May 15th? And listen, I've been doing this show with you for a very long time. We're, I, I don't know the exact count, but we got to be getting close to 100 episodes. We, Oh, You've together, been on yeah. a lot here. Yeah, the, the uh, overall is, episode number is 150. This today, is episode 150, bit of a big one, yeah. So I think I know by now when you're a little distracted. <laughs> and I know perfectly well because I am also distracted. Yes, we can. Uh, you and I are both watching the Pittsburgh-New York Rangers game. Keeping a close eye on it as much yeah. as we can, yes. Because we're recording this on Sunday night. It's going to go out pretty much right after we're done recording. In Monday morning-ish, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's going to be – It's look, we, we can't control the fact that there were two game sevens on uh, Sunday night. <sighs> Following three on Saturday, by the well, way. Well, and here's the thing. We can at least kind of talk about this game in progress. Normally, we do this type of stuff in the morning, and we would have had nothing. We would have just been guessing. Right, so we're we're talking about this game here, and as we sit here now, it's currently 1-1, and we're in the second period. Uh, Tristan Jari has returned from injury to play Game 7 and looks fantastic, by the way. I'm sorry, um, I made a face because Igor Shesterkin just made one hell of a save. He sure did. Both goalies, are pl- both, both goalies are playing incredible hockey, but yes. we talked about this a little bit before the show. We were doing a little formatting talk just to pull back the curtain here. And you said, "Oh, we're going to give this time. We're, we're going to give this yeah. game a little bit of time to marinate. Try to see if if we can kind of make some predictions about who uh, might be well, winning this game and moving on to face the Carolina Hurricanes before we get into that series." And right. uh, it's one-one, almost halfway well, through the game. Okay, so, so. Here's, well, because here's the thing. First of all, one thing I don't mind doing in the meantime, while this game continues to progress, yeah. is talking about the other series that have actually officially. And we will be doing ahead. that. Uh, and speak of the devil, as we say that, it's 2-1 to one Pittsburgh right now. Oh, your stream's ahead of mine. Okay. Rip. Well, no, I'm, I'm actually watching. I have, I have the TV turned towards no, me. So okay. I'm actually watching. That makes I'm sense. not watching on a stream. That's why. Um, the so TBS that, app for iPhone is awful. That's my – never mind. Shocker. Guess who scored the goal? I'm not going to tell was you it who. Sid? No. Oh. Who's the other most obvious guy to score that goal? Was it Gino? No. Sorry. I'm trying to see who's on the ice here right now. Because they still have the puck, they're still twelve twenty left. I'm way behind you. Wow. Oh, oh, you're you're way behind us, right? Then. Yeah. Twelve twenty left in the second period for you. Yeah, I'm gonna reboot this stream. Yeah, you might need to pick it back up because there's like it's under ten now. Oh Jesus. Okay, I'm way behind. It, okay. Pittsburgh's on a, Pittsburgh was on a power play. Oh, okay. Um, so okay, so now I gave you a hint. Now. That's fine. Just was it Jake Gensel? Because yeah, he's been well. scoring his tail uh, off this postseason. Well, okay, hang on a second. Because hold everything. Are they reviewing it? 
that it's it's very dangerously close to a high stick. Okay, well, listen. Why don't we leave our listeners on a bit of a cliffhanger? They'll know the results in the morning. But we'll touch back on this we at will. the end of the show. Yes. Um, no, I, I think it wouldn't be bad to also touch on some of the series that have completed. We made. Yeah. I, do you remember what your predictions were? I have mine written down. I don't have mine written down, but I, I'm pretty sure I remember. I don't remember number of games. Okay, um, that's fair. what series you want to start with. Um, let's do the one that we f- I feel like we need to talk the least about because it was over first. Uh, okay, I agree. Um, like, Colorado in four. I know I had Colorado in four. I think you gave Nashville a game or two, and I said, nah, it's, it's Colorado. Okay, there's two problems with what happened when I gave Nashville kind of a pity game. Number one Did you was, think UC Saros was playing? I thought he might play when it got down to crunch time. Yeah. Number one, and... The other part of the equation was, as I sure as hell didn't expect that, uh, you know, the third string guy in, you know, Fair enough. Ingram to come in and actually damn near steal a game. He played well. I mean, I, I tweeted this out after the series was over and, and not to overshadow what Colorado did at all, because I did give them full props. But, you know, for a guy who came in who had all of three regular season games to his name. In his career. Right. He appears in all four in the series. And kept them in every single... Outside of the first one, which was completely out of hand. The other games were all close at various points. Whether it was the... You know, you had one that went to overtime. It was probably Nashville's best chance to win. You had a game that eventually, midway through the second period, was evened up 3-3. And then you had the game where Nashville actually had the lead for a few moments. Like... It was that close with yeah, this kid net, who I think now pr- quite possibly becomes part of the equation for them. Does he not? Sure, absolutely. Like this wasn't one of those blowout one v eight sweeps that you see sometimes, where every game is six to two because the the one seed is just tuning up for the the real boys. Right. This was a real series. Uh, Colorado yeah. was never comfortable. They were never no, no, dominant. Game, well, game one. Well, game one, they were. You're right. Yeah. And but outside of that, but game, I think they were. If we're being serious, and I'm not trying to downplay anything that Nashville had going at that point, but for game one, look, if you're going to end up starting David Riddick as your goalie in the playoffs against a team like that, good luck. Well, two things. A, good luck with that when the when Saros was down and all that stuff. But the other part of the problem was is that, if I'm not mistaken, they led the last game of the season in the regular season that would have given them Calgary instead. Yep. And... You get stuck with what you get stuck with. Uh, yeah, that's what happens. No, there's no dude. way around it. All right, uh, let's stay in that division here. So, Colorado won four games. They will play the winner of the Minnesota St. Louis series. Um, we talked about it a little bit earlier when we mentioned Craig Berube, but the Blues look pretty good through six games. Yeah, see, I got this one completely wrong. Not compl- Me too. I no, I don't want to say completely no, wrong. We both had this series going to seven, I believe, and I think we agreed that game seven is a toss-up call. I had it go. Yeah, I had it going to seven. Okay. And I yeah, so I agreed it was a toss-up call. Uh, look, the the thing that changed that whole series is the goaltending change. They got three. You know, you get through three games. It's not going well for. You know, it's not going well for St. Louis at that point. They've lost two games. They, they they won game one pretty convincingly, but they lose two more. And when they lost those two games in a row, 
and decide to make a change in goal. Like, they go to Bennington, and that totally changed everything. Like, it, it just... It's ama- it was amazing to me how that, that change turned the whole series on its head and just, you know, it, it just changed the game completely. And, you know, look, credit to them, I kind of... Maybe, I, I don't know, maybe I gave... Minnesota too much credit? I don't know. Minnesota didn't look bad, though. Like I, I know it doesn't really show in the end scores here, but every game was competitive. It, it, it never felt like they were completely out of it, really. No, but I'll tell you what their biggest problem was, if I'm being completely honest. I go back and I look at the, end, at the numbers at the end of that series for Minnesota. Okay. And there's a bunch of guys on the team that were kind of one-off goal scorers. Joel Erickson Eck had three in the series, I believe, and then Kirill Kaprizov had seven. The guy accounted for a majority of your offense. Can't fault him. No, as a matter of fact, and I don't want to jump too far into, like, let's talk awards, too, and all that stuff like that, but he had a legit case for the heart. If he was, in, like, if he was a oh, finalist, yeah. people should not have been questioning it. I agree. Um I, I think Minnesota found out what happens, and I'm not giving this player a hard time. Okay. I think Minnesota found out what happens when a significant portion of your offense runs through a guy like Ryan Hartman. He's a good player, but this he season was, was kind of a breakout season for him. and I, He was just incredibly invisible in that series from that standpoint, yes. Yep, and I'm, and I'm trying not to dunk on him too bad because he really did have a career season, and for a guy that's been a middle six slash bottom six kind of guy in the NHL, right. I'm happy to yep. see the success for him. But right. we need you to. We need it in the playoffs too. If you're going to make the big boy bucks, right? I mean, they're, they're, the offense dried up for a lot of guys, not just Hartman. Like Fiala wasn't quite what he usually is, and even it looked yep. dangerous a lot of times, but couldn't finish. You know, like it was just you know that kind of series for them. I, I think that they're a better team than what they showed, but St. Louis is. You know, I almost kind of wonder if that's the experience thing kind of coming out. Like, St. Louis has been there, done that. You get Ryan A lot O'Reilly. of that team is the same crew that won the Cup. Right. So when you, you get Ryan O'Reilly, Braden Shen, David Perron, all those guys out there, you know, and then on the back end, you know, let's just say, on the back end, it's not, and he's not even playing, but I'm mentioning his name anyway, but you get a Tory Krug who's kind of been in the playoffs, I'm enjoy, like, all the hey, time. Hey, he was, he was in that Stanley Cup series, too. Yeah, in a different way. Yeah. But, but but I'll take, but here's, here's the guy I will take, and I'll throw it right after then. I'll take a Colton Pareko who's been around the block and did it then and is doing it now. Like, I, I remember when Colton Pareko was like this young up-and-coming stud defenseman. Right. He was going to take over. for, And he's done it. He's been a stellar defenseman he's very quietly. Really His name does not get mentioned in kind of top-tier circles. Because he does the dirty work. He's, yep. the, he's, he's physical and he blocks shots and he does all that kind of stuff. And he may score a goal on occasion, but it doesn't happen a lot. He, those guys he's one of those. The, he's one of those X factor guys. But they never get the props they should. Like, no, I agree. They, they get the props they should from people like us who do something like this every week. But most games, people don't even know that they're even there. All and, right, and that's and that's a compliment. By so the way. I'm going to transition us because another player who I think plays a very similar game to that, even though he's a forward, okay. is a guy like Philip Philip Deneau. Oh yeah. And I do want to talk about that Edmonton LA series because that is the only other series in the West that has concluded. Uh, like I mentioned before, we are recording this live. Uh, Calgary versus Dallas puck drops in about an hour. Yeah, so we will, um, not, so we Edm- will not even be recording when this happens. No, we will not. Uh, Edmonton and LA. Um, mm-hmm. Through the first 
three games of this series. Yeah. I really thought Edmonton was running away with it. I thought it was Edmonton in five. They scored six goals in game two. They scored eight goals in game three. Game one was a nice tight game, and I thought that was L.A.'s best effort. And from there on, it was just going to be the Edmonton steamrollers. You want my thoughts on how as as these games progressed? Yeah. Game one happened, and I got a big smile on my face, and I went, "Here we go again." And I, because I was, this is everything I felt like I saw coming. It felt that way after game one. Yeah, I, I hear you. Games two and three happened the way they did, and I'm like, okay, maybe it's a little different. And then game four happened, and the series was tied again. And Philip Deneau went, uh, 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 nope. Right, and then game five happened, and Adrian Kempe scored a real nice goal in overtime. That, and I, that game was nuts. And I went, oh, boy, it's happening. It's happening exactly as I envisioned it, because I said L.A. in six. Yep. And, here, and here's the truth of the matter. I'm convinced that if game six, which was tied 2-2, with about five, five, six minutes left in the third period. I'm convinced if that game got to overtime, L.A. was winning that series. I don't disagree with you. For me, by the way, game five was the game of the series. That game was so incredibly fun to watch. It was. And the thing and was that I know it because I already know where you're going to go with this because Edmonton got a couple of power plays in the third period, and it was like that last one in particular when they're down 4-3, that the the door could not have been more wide open in that given moment if you tried, yep. like it, it, it's scr- like I knew what was coming. I didn't even. I actually was doing some like it, it, I know it was a, it's a little later at night by that point, but I was doing a couple little household items, getting ready for the end of the night, and I actually walked away and I left there and I came back up and I saw four four and I didn't even need to look to find out who did what because I felt like I already knew in my head. I'm like, it, it's those two. We know which two. It's always them. Yep, and Leon Dreisaitl just decided that they weren't losing that game. Like, he he looked a little dinged up as the series went on. We we know that he kind of sustained yeah. some nicks and bruises that hopefully he's getting a couple days to recover from here. He definitely didn't look like himself in Game 6, I'll tell you that. Or, yeah, but Game g- 7, I mean, sorry, Game 7. Game 5, he was putting the miles down. He was doing oh, yeah. the hard work. Leon Dreisaitl had a hell of a series, and if Edmonton makes a run... He might be twenty five percent of the way to a con Smythe. You're talking about Drysital. Yep. Then, then who's then? What is McDavid? The other seventy five percent of the way. Well, there? no, I just mean they're through one round, right? They. Oh yeah, we're I know, through but... one round. He's twenty five percent of the way, but he has laid the groundwork. In he, my opinion, I disagree with you, and the only reason I do is, and I'll tell you why. Because in Game Seven, in particular, when Drysital did not completely look like himself. Connor McDavid took the team and put it on his shoulders and You're said, right. I'm, ge- I'm getting you to the second round, boys. You're right. And he, you know, finally for him, not that they haven't been like they've won. They, like, I think they've won a playoff series with him before. It's not like they're, they've been completely shut out. But there's fun, like there just feels like there's a little something different with them now with the way that that kind of closed out. He is shouldering more of it, but doing it in such a way that you, it makes it feel different. I still don't completely trust their goaltending. I can't. I, I won't at any point. I, I do want to give that, Mike Smith credit. I, do, I want to give him credit too. But I Tw- like, 29 save shutout in Game 7. Yes, and he picked up a good chunk of that down the stretch. But I, Oh, LA was pouring it on. Sure, but up until then, I remember hearing something about how shots were something like 38-18 halfway through the third or something. And that, to me... 
was exactly what it turned into. And I tweeted it after the game was over where I said, Connor McDavid stays hot and the Oilers played a perfect defensive game when they needed it the most. And boy, did they ever like for so much of that game, it was there for the taking for LA to an extent. Like if they could get, if they could break through that wall and find a way, maybe even just to get the first one in some crazy fashion, you know, I don't want to completely jump over to the east right away here. No, I do want to. I do want to put a neat little bow on the west before we move. Oh over. yeah, but but there's you know there was a particular game seven that happened, there, and I this doesn't give it away because there's been multiple obviously, but there was a particular game seven where there was very clearly some nervous energy going on, and I think that in Edmonton, if LA had scored first in that game, despite what was happening, oh, it would have gotten real. There nervous. was some huge nervous energy if that's the case. And palms sweaty, knees weak, arms heavy, full blown Eminem. Absolutely. No, but, but what? But but at what? Like what a time down the stretch of that game. It's still one nothing under five minutes to go, and McDavid just decides right then and there. Ping. I'm putting. The, I'm putting an end to this thing right now. And I, I was. I was actually driving. Dagger. Home the, I was driving home last night when that was still on. I was listening to the third period on the radio, and I heard that goal, and I went, "That's it." It's over. Okay. You remember the fire, the fire that Claude Giroux had in the 2012 playoff series against the Pittsburgh Penguins? Yeah. I saw that fire in Connor McDavid this series. I think, look, Connor McDavid to me, as a superstar player who knows he's among the best in the world, and there's no way he can't know that. You like, you, look, you just kind of right. get used to hearing your name and seeing it all over the place. Like, you know, you just know. I think that he's tired of the narrative that exists that they don't get particularly far, you know, and and why not take like in in that type of situation, take matters into your own hands. Just for sure. Just do it. Like you're the best player in the world. Go and, and he did. take matters into your own hands and he sure did and yeah. like you know what? Like here's the thing. I'm disappointed my like here's what I'm like I'm disappointed that I got the prediction wrong cuz I want to get of course, we all want to get as many of those right as we can, right? But I think as hockey fans, no matter you know what our predictions were, and hockey fans everywhere really should be saying this, we're in a better place today because Connor McDavid's got more games to play. It and is Dry, good and for Leon the game. too. Like I don't want to take him just out of the picture here. He was great in the series too. So and if they win their second round series, and we will do quick predictions before we jump over to the East, and uh, Colorado wins their second round series, I look forward to seeing that clash in the in the conference finals what if we, we get there. What we really need to see, if if I'm being honest, and I don't look, we're not going to be able to talk about Game Seven of Calgary Dallas in its right. finality. Like we won't know who wins the series, but isn't there a pretty obvious team that would be fit like fitting to go here? Please let Calgary go through. Right. I can't. I can't watch Connor McDavid play against the stifling defense again. Please let him play against a run and gun, a high octane team. Please. Well, okay. Can I can I tell you what I think? And this is not to jump to predictions or anything like that. Because I will be honest about something right off the bat with the Calgary Dallas series. I'm not telling you I hate that style of hockey because it's stifling. I get that point. I, like I get why teams play that way, and it does work. Defense this wins not, championships. This has not been a particularly impressive series from either team. 
I think it's been a very impressive series from both teams' goaltenders. Yes. Like, to me, like, Jacob Markstrom's already a finalist for the Vesna. He's not going to win, by the way, because the goalie who's going to win is actively playing in a game as we speak. Jacob Ottinger is actively building an incredible resume for himself. Jake Ottinger has now, to me, become a name that people should now associate as a starting goaltender in this league. Okay, if you're listening to this show and you play fantasy hockey, you need to know the name Jake Ottinger heading into next year. You, you need to, because if you're not drafting him, he's a waiver wire pickup, and quite frankly, you should probably be drafting him. Anyway, <laughs> I agree. This series, I haven't watched a ton of this series because sure. this is one of those Western Conference series that's kind of drifted on me a little bit, but I certainly will be watching Game game 7 tonight because of course, who can't watch Game 7 hockey? We mentioned the fact that we're both actively watching Rangers-Penguins. All right, which, by the uh, way, is a great Game 7. Oh, yeah. It's and become- honestly, I think they all have been so far. Pretty um, close. I mean... The L.A. Edmonton one, it turned into one of those defensive battles. But it was still – it was an edge-of-your-seat game for 54 minutes. Oh, sure. It, it absolutely is. Um, I, I do want to say, like, I already mentioned, like, who we would like to see play Edmonton in the next round, probably just for the sake of saying Battle of Alberta kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, you're right, though. If Edmonton were to go and play a Battle of Alberta and then win the series – and gets a team like Colorado with McKinnon and all that type of like, come on, you're just drawing up absolutely fireworks. You're just drawing up great one great series after another. Yep. And one thing I want to say, not to go backwards here, but one thing I want to say about yeah. Colorado in particular, yeah. because Colorado um, was the only series that went less than five. Right. Like, so they've got we had a bunch. We had a bunch of sixes. We had two sixes, a bunch, five game sevens. So we and, have the standard question. Right. Are they rested or are they rusty? Well, sure. That's one thing about it. But the thing I wanted to go into was is one of the things that I, that I tweeted after it was over was, you know, and I, I know I know you've already given your thoughts on this multiple times, so I'm not even going to go. I'm not going to go here because you've said it already. But two years ago, everybody was saying it's Tampa's time. It's Tampa's time. That this right now sure feels like it's starting. Like to me, Colorado is looking like that team right now. That can it's only the first round that can change. But the way they played in that first round, I'm well, getting vibes like that. I, I okay. definitely, I definitely do not think that there was another team in the Western Conference portion of the playoffs that played a series that showed me as much as Colorado did in terms of that. Colorado is very clearly that that's where the bar is set in that conference here's why i'm not willing to go there yet okay uh they played in my opinion probably the weakest team to make the playoffs fair i'm not disagreeing with that without their starting goalie Uh, and again fair i just there's elements of their game that i see that like they just knew exactly what to do in each game situation like they trailed at one point they were in an overtime they were locked in high-scoring tie games. Like, they just knew how to handle it. And they just get that, like... You, Colorado or St. Louis? Oh, I, I think Colorado for sure. Okay. Just, and, and we're not, you know, how many games? It's going to be... There's, to, well, at this point, nothing's going to be short. Nothing is going to be short. Okay. I think, I think Colorado can do it in six, probably, but... 
you know, St. Louis has a winning pedigree. So I'm not going to sit there and say that, that this can't go seven. I still would give it to Colorado because mm-hmm. Colorado's going to play on home ice in a game seven. And I don't. I just don't see something about Colorado being a, being able to potentially be the team that holds. Like I think Colorado is the team that would be the second highest team that would hold home ice for the rest of it. Like outside of Florida, who won um, the President's Trophy. It's Colorado, right? I'm I'm gonna spoil the rest of my Western Conference prediction bracket here. Oh boy! In an ideal world, we would get Edmund, we would get Connor McDavid playing the Kings because you got to, and then Calgary, and then Colorado. I think instead we are destined for Connor McDavid to run into the L.A. Kings, the Dallas Stars, and the St. Louis Blues, and just have the absolute worst grind to the Stanley Cup that has ever existed. Yeah, okay. I I'm here. I I lost you during that whole thing. So can you just Yeah, you're fine. Okay, can um, you give, give me your in an ideal world cuz yeah, yeah, yeah. I I lost you. In an ideal world, we'd have Connor McDavid play, well, you know, the LA Kings cuz you got to. But then you'd have them play Calgary, and then you'd have them play Colorado. Right. So what I think is going to happen is that Connor McDavid is going to get to play Philip Deneau in the L.A. Kings. Mm-hmm. All the monsters in Dallas. And then the St. Louis Blues. I think okay. the St. Louis Blues take this series in seven in Colorado. I think uh, Nathan McKinnon's... I think the conversation about Nathan McKinnon can't win the big one uh, is going to gain a little steam on it. I think he's getting close to that uh, that Alex Ovechkin not being able to beat the Penguins thing. Um, and then, yeah, St. Louis and Edmonton. Oh, man, that's a fun matchup in the conference finals. So here's I, I want to piggyback off of that because yeah. there's there's a point in there where you're right about certain things with it because it's not just McKinnon at that point. It's a collective unit thing where it starts to become how many years have they had this group and, you know, it's not getting far enough. I mean, realistically, they need to get to a conference final. They need this series. Like, that kind of fuels my prediction a little bit because, yes, they're the number one seed in the West, you know, overall. They need this series. Would it really shock you if St. Louis comes out and wins game one? No, absolutely not. And at that moment, Here, not you only put that, Colorado on the back foot. You do, but I, I, I'm I'm kind of doing a reversal of last. I, I guess it would be last, yeah, last year because I distinctly remember Colorado taking it to a particular team that won the series anyway down the down the road. You know, so just because they a team loses game one and may lose it convincingly. Because, you know, because sitting around waiting for all this to finalize and all that stuff, like, I totally get it. I think that I don't think that that derails them in the series, but I am not thinking it's out of the realm of possibilities that St. Louis comes out strong and delivers that kind of game in game one. That's going to be a fun series to watch. That's going to be a physical series. Sure it is. Absolutely. Because, well, because St. Louis is so built for the playoffs and... Colorado needs to show that they're built for the play- that Colorado should like because Colorado should be built for the playoffs. St. Louis is going to test Nazem Kadri's newfound patience. Yeah, a little. Um, 
It's going to test if his fuse is really as long as he wants us to think it is. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's going to be an interesting dynamic. It really is. So we'll have to see. Uh, look, I, I'm picking like maybe I'm pulling back the curtain on my predictions. All this like this thing. Like I said, it kind of feels like it's Colorado's time. Okay. I know I I know I like them. Uh, I kind of I kind of am getting, you know, I don't know. There's just you know, I'm I'm thinking you know I'm I'm thinking of the mid '90s and that kind of stuff, and I'm thinking, you know, Some Joe Sackick just grow the goatee out. Yeah, maybe a little. Actually, when they won in 01, Joe Sackick had no facial hair at all. Oh, he didn't. No, I mean, let's just say Peter Forsberg could grow a good beard. That's fair. Um, and what you're thinking of is a, what's it? Ray Bork had the goatee. Guy. Yeah, Ray Bork had the goatee. You're right. All right. If, if Edmonton plays Calgary, who you got? You know what? I don't. I Look, I had LA winning the series initially so because of that i had calgary winning the next one because okay. i kind of figured la was probably i think calgary only... can beat mike smith to be honest with you i think yes i think they can well one thing that would favor calgary for sure is that you're going to get opportunities edmonton's not the defensive team that dallas has been no so you'll get opportunity i mean Ed- edmonton would need to play the way they played game seven against la Man. All the time to battle, silence that group. Battle of Alberta, two high octane offenses. Ooh, that series could be a good one. And, and I got to tell you, you know what else fuels this big time right now? Yeah. If you get a series like that, you know there's going to be animosity. And if there's Absolutely. animosity, there's going to be I, penalties. I mentioned the 2012 Flyers Penguins series earlier. Right. This has potential to get there. Maybe not quite to the same level because right. that was a circus. But here's but here's the thing. About You'll see the that. 2022 version of it. But here's the thing about that. You're going to have penalties. And if you have penalties, you don't need to do anything more than put McDavid Dreisaitl on a bunch of power plays and put Gaudreau, Kachuk, and Lindholm on a bunch of power plays and wait and see I, what the hell happens. I want to see Milan Lucic fight Darnell Nurse. Give it to me. I, I will say one thing in particular about that, that possibility, by the way. Not the fight possibility, but the series. You got Jacob Markstrom in goal on one side, which could That's be... That's why the, I edge Calgary. But it could be the catalyst of the whole series. It yep. really could be. That's so, why I gave Calgary the edge. That's why I think they beat Mike Smith. I'll, I'll agree. I, I think that Calgary can win that series if they get... like. At this point in time, here's here's okay, here's the thing about that series. And if it is Calgary Edmonton, I think it's going the distance because I think Edmonton's it's a rivalry series, and that's just kind of how they go. But I but I also think that Edmonton's going to put up way more fight than we've ever seen. For sure. If, if it's Dallas, I think Edmonton wins the series because I, as much as Dallas is a stifling defense, I think that Calgary lacks a little bit of the speed that Edmonton has just like it's going to be a totally different animal keeping up with McDavid all night like it is keeping up with Gaudreau and like that kind of stuff like Kachuk's not like that Kachuk can skate no don't get me wrong but Kachuk's not McDavid honestly if the Oilers beat the Kings I think if they play Dallas they're playing a slightly watered down version of the Kings Possibly. And, and they just beat the Kings. So I, I, I have Edmonton pretty quick if they play Dallas, maybe five the, or six. The other pr- part of the problem for Dallas is going to be that if you're going to go into a series with, series with Edmonton and have to lean on Ottinger again like you have in this series, you're in big trouble against Edmonton. You're in big trouble. And you're in, a, you're even, you're in even more trouble 
if what Edmonton can bring in the speed game leads to way more special teams time because you're yep. in a, you're in a world of trouble at that point. Like that Connor actually, McDavid plus open ice is a problem. I mean, here's the funny part. I'm saying this like this now, and I'm making it sound like if it's Edmonton Dallas, we're looking at like a possible, even possible five five game series. Like, yeah, it's no. It, it's going to be one of those series where we're going to sit there and go, Dallas is doing it again. Why? It doesn't make any sense that they're winning, but they probably are. Like, I agree. I felt that after every game that Dallas won in this series. Sure, but that's the point. Like, something, It's going to also happen in a weird sort of way while they're playing the best player in the world in the Edmonton Oilers. You know, like it's, Something's just crazy with that. So I don't know what to expect. I, all I know is... Whenever we're done with this and we sit back and watch the uh, game seven that's left Calgary and Dallas, I'm hoping for a, the Battle of Alberta. Oh yeah. Well, because I, here's because here's the thing. We and we've already, we're going to touch on the East series in a moment. I already love the the Colorado St. Louis dynamic because it's kind of Colorado is very much in in a spot where St. Louis was before they won a cup. Like they've got the talent. The year that St. Louis won a cup, they were on a magical kind of run, but they had been in playoff series before where they were getting kind of close and didn't get there. Right. So I think that you, you know, St. Louis was so close to Minnesota that if you got Colorado, St. Louis, Edmonton, Calgary, you're getting quite possibly, you know, arguably the four best teams in the West anyway, because even though Minnesota finished ahead in the standings of St. Louis, St. Louis looked great in that series at many different points, and I think you'd be getting that legitimate level of, you know, the top teams in the, in the West are playing each other, and it's going to be great. And then, you know, who, to me, actually to me, I, like I said, I have Colorado winning that series for sure in my mind. I don't know if I'm super convinced on who wins. Like I said seven, so I'm not convinced on who would win Calgary-Edmonton. But I think, again, whatever happens out of that, if it's Colorado and either or, you're still then getting the two best teams that the West has to offer, and it's going to be great. Yep. Like, yeah, and quite frankly, I don't have any complaints about the Eastern bracket either, and I think it's time we kind of shift over towards the East. Yep. Um, honestly, I think we just talk about the game six first. Um, yes. Florida-Washington was the only six-game series in the, in the East. Uh, the other three have gone to seven, including Rangers-Pittsburgh, which is currently on now. Um, Again, we'll keep you updated. The second period has just ended there, uh, mm-hmm. or several minutes ago. Uh, but that this series, uh, Florida-Washington. Yes. Man. How freaking good is Claude Giroux? <laughs> yeah. He had, Come on! He had two, in particular, two great games to close it out. He was obscene in game six. He was, no question about it. He was um, probably the best Panther. So I, I want to preface going into this particular series with something that I will say about every series. It doesn't matter which one, even the one that's currently actively happening as we speak. There's not a single team in the Eastern Conference that's still alive or would have possibly been alive with all the Game 7s that have happened that I would have sat there and told you out of this, out of the first round I feel confident in saying they're making the Stanley Cup final or something like that. Like I agree. Every one of these teams had an issue of some kind that nearly cost them the series, one way or another. I think that Florida um, Florida fell behind too often. Right. Like, 
They won a lot I, of games in overtime, like, a lot of games in the like, shootout, a lot of games that you can't win in the playoffs because they were three on three. Well, yeah, yeah, but I'm saying in that series, they were playing chase right. the game an awful lot. Um, whether it was, you know, the way that game, you know, game three kind of got out of hand, they were they ended up trailed, you know, they actually ended up leading in game one and then trailed late, later on. So it was kind of a rough third period. But you know, how many times did they have to win a game? They did it in game five. They did, well, actually, they were down 2-1 in the series, by the way. Right. And they, they had to win game four by tying the game in the final two minutes and then win it in overtime to tie the series. They had to come back in game five. They had to come back in game six in certain angles and then overcome the fact that once they did make a little bit of a comeback from down 2-1 at one point, they had the lead gave up a goal in like the last minute to keep the thing going and then had to win in overtime again. Yep. Um, so all that stuff comes into play. The other thing that I didn't like about Florida in that sense is that, you know, we, we know their opponent for tomorrow now or for the next series. I mean, right. You cannot fall behind that often to Tampa Bay and no. expect to come back. It's just not going to happen. You have to play 60 minutes. Like I know it's cliche, you can't start five minutes late or ten minutes late and expect to compete. They're going to blow your doors right. off. Right. It's just not going to happen. So that's an area that needs to be corrected for the next series. Um, I, I think that, first of all, okay, so back to Claude Giroux, because I know you want to talk a little bit of Claude Giroux here. Um, first of all, this looks like a player who's – Who's had the weight of the world lifted off his shoulders in the sense that he doesn't—he doesn't have it looks to. Be like he's having fun. Well, he definitely is having fun. I mean, for goodness' sake, he's kissing teammates on the helmet on the bench, and you know all that. And never quite frankly, that. Carter Verhage deserves it because he's been stellar. Yeah, I meant I mentioned um, Con Smythe earlier. Cardi, Carter Verhage is the leader in the clubhouse for that team. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot more to go before we really know. I think he's the, like stuff, out, out of all the players on yeah. any team, he, he's the most likely if his team wins the cup, he's winning it to me. Like he is the most oh, ahead cool. of the pack. Yeah. I mean, the only other guy I can think of who's that far in the running is the guy who's sharing the points like r- right on pace points wise with him, which is McDavid. But, that's fair. But that's about it. I mean, other than that, I mean, unless we're talking about a goaltender because like and Verhage did it in one less game. Right. But like, unless we're talking about a goaltender, because like Ottinger's been Dallas's best player, uh, you can kind of make a case for Markstrom in Calgary because he's had a couple really strong games, you know, like stuff like that. But I, I go back to there's a bunch of stuff really because in Game Five, Giroux scored a goal that basically put the game away. That was just vintage Claude Giroux, the little head fake. I'm gonna get the guy down. The puck didn't even go all the way in the net. It crossed over and a guy got a stick on it to knock it back out. Yep. But it didn't matter. I just my jaw was on the floor because I'm sitting there going, Whoa, look at that move. Like And then the okay, setup. Giroux, yeah, and when the setup was Carter Verhage again. So like yep. you know, Carter Verhage only had a five point game that night and and the uh, Florida Panthers only scored five goals. So uh you do the math. You right. know. Um but the next game in game six I mean, that whole third period, it was all about Claude Drew. The, the goal that ties the game up, you know, just unleashing one and it goes in. I, you know, on, on second look, because at first I thought he just really uncorked one and just beat him. Right. It kind of leaked through a little more than it should have. That's kind of a bad goal by Samsonov. But, hey, they happen. You got to take it. You yep. know, if, if it happens, 
by all means. Now, you know what the best part of that goal really was, right? Okay. Because I, I actually tweeted it because, you know, one the, the, the gifts come around, right? Like all that stuff. You know, f- flat on camera, no question about it. Claude Drew just gives you a let's go, baby, right? Like, you know, dude's fired up. I, I, you got you love to see it. Like, Full-blown the shift style. Yes. Yep. I- exactly. Well, and, th- and then keeps going. The setup for Barkov was a brilliant play. And then, obviously, and then obviously, he no looks a pass to Verhage in overtime. And just, you know, like, you know. Re- you know, really sorry, but, you know, gee, I-, I thought the guy wasn't a great leader. Right. Hey, can't win with Giroux. Can't ever do it. What's he, what's he contributing? Guy huh? looks, what's the, he doing? The best, the best part of that series, as much as Florida can't trail that often against Tampa Bay, the best part of that series for Florida is that your best players at most cases in the series were not Alexander Barkov and were not Jonathan Huberdeau. And yep. they were okay. I'm not trying to say they were but bad. But the, the fact that those guys still have another gear to find? Sure. Yep. The, the well, only and- issue for Florida that I will mention is you're now you did have to, by the end of that game, that game six, Aaron Ekblad's taken a beating. And Benjgarat's oh. taken a beating. And that's going to wear thin when you're playing the two-time defending Stanley Because Tampa games. doesn't stop coming. They just It's waves. Because, because there's no holes. There's yep. just no holes in the and system. Let's get into that series because they, the Florida Panthers are going to need their players at a, as close to 100% as possible. They're sure. going to need Huberdeau and Barkov to find that so next we're, gear. What, what are we getting into? Are we going into the second? We're going to Toronto-Tampa Bay. Okay, we're talking Toronto-Tampa yeah. Cool. Yeah, because um, yeah, that's an interesting – it was an interesting series. Uh, now, I, when I made my prediction – oh, by the way, from the previous series, I had Florida in five, by the way, and I'll take Florida in six. Okay, I think I had Florida in six, but I, yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, look, no, no big deal, no harm, no foul. Florida got there like they should. I, I, I didn't, you know, if nothing else, I love the way they closed out because it was gut check time in a lot of those situations, and boy, did they step up. So absolutely good for them in that case, and and good for them also for winning a playoff series for the first time since '96. I love stuff like that. I love yeah. stories like that. I think it's awesome for them. It's it's awesome to hear that their building has been pretty, you know, I know we always make that joke about Florida and, the, you know, the amount of fans that are in the building and stuff like that, and everybody does, but they've been doing pretty good with the attendance in the playoffs. Yeah, and it's going to step up as it goes, right? Like, that's sure. how it works. Well, now um, you get, now, now the thing is, is you got, we're going to get, we'll get to the second round series, but we know who obviously won the other series that, that sets up the matchup. Now you got a battle of Florida. Not a whole lot of travel. Right. Like, it's just, you know pretty simple stuff here i think are sunrise and uh tampa close enough that they're gonna be bussing um they, they might could, they could to get where they need to go like they the might practice country. in their home rink in the morning and bus over in the afternoon no i don't see that happening only because it's okay it would be too much to do that but they they won't need to go crazy with the travel stuff no I it, that. it'll be nice and easy for the players no time zones no blah 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 oh yeah um, it's a Tampa-Toronto ta- series. Tampa-Toronto was also a really fun series. So and I, where I was trying to go with that was yeah. that I had Toronto in seven. Okay. Which I had – I think I also had Toronto in seven. Um, but, man, but game the, seven. I know we right. touched on it earlier about, you know, game sevens that feel like game sevens. Right. 
I mean, you could hear well, a pin drop in that building, and sure. that's not a knock on we, Toronto fans, for the record. Right. So we, so we just talked about like, like we've talked about this before. When, like, for me anyway, if I say a ser- I think a series is going seven, it means I can see both teams winning. I knew this was a tough call, and I, I, I loved where the series was at three two because I'm like, okay, if like Toronto had some magic going. Yep. In, that, in that game five. And they had even, like, the scary part is that it all lines up exactly the way that it, 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 it looks when it's on your TV screen. They get to the third period of game six with a lead. I thought they were winning game six. Well, no, I didn't think they were winning game six. but I, I did. In, but in the back of my mind, my, my, my thought process immediately goes to, well, we're about to find out what they're made of. Because if they're going to put the demons behind them, they'll win this game. And... They didn't. They didn't win the game. You know, no matter how you want to look at it, they Nikita didn't win the game, Kucherov so from just... Braden Point and Steven Stamkos on the power play. There's not really a whole lot you can do about that at that point. Five one three, no less. Which means, I mean, good luck against that team. And then the overtime right. thing was just, you know, it's overtime. What more can you say than that? You know. Yep. It just is what it is. And it takes you to Game Seven, and there was definitely a lot of nervous energy. Obviously, everybody's going to talk about the no goal call in the middle of the game. Here's the thing, though. It's interference. interference. I called it live. I was stunned that they allowed play to continue live. And it turns out they didn't. They were just blowing the whistle, and the building was so loud because it was insane that no one could hear it. Well, it's because, I mean, look at who's doing what at that moment. John Tavares, who had two of the best games he had played in the series in games five and six, is hard driving around the net. And is cutting through the middle, and no one's there. He's got a clear path straight to the slot. Probably because he, the right. guy covering him got well, exactly. full basketball picked. I'm surprised the guy didn't, you know, cover his crotch like they do in the NBA. Right. I mean, Steven Stamkos was making the call. You know, Stamkos put his arm up. It's interference. Right. It, it is. And that's why he was so wide open. Look, and that's why one of the things I tweeted what, like afterwards was, look, that's a hell of a shot by Tavares because it's, look, we can't deny what they were facing. They're facing Game 7 Vasilevsky. It takes that kind of shot to beat him. Good for, good shot, but it was an obvious penalty. Yeah, and then on the other side of the coin, by the way, I, Nick Paul became a Tampa Bay hero. He joins that list <laughs> of guys who play in Tampa's depth that just come sure. through in the most massive situations. Two we goals in Game 7. Had never had a playoff goal in his career before. We had this conversation in the group chat. He's he's this, he's wearing number 20, I guess, for a reason, because he sure looks like the number 20 that was there last year. Right. Like, I, like I, it's, such, I do. I get such Blake Coleman vibes from him. It's not even funny. You know how over the course of his career, Sidney Crosby has managed to transform every single guy on his wing into a 30-40 goal scorer? Sure. Tampa Bay does the same thing with bottom six guys. Turns him into multimillionaires, right? Like Nick Paul's gonna go make bank. He might this yeah. off season. He's either gonna go make bank this off season, or he's gonna resign with Tampa Bay and win rings in two of the next four years. <laughs> oh man, that, must be a tough decision, it, Nick. It's it's obnoxious how well run of an organization the Tampa Bay. It's was. really honestly frustrating. But, well, and the reason I say is because how like they are a team that. At like every trade deadline acquisition because it's never anything big. It's usually these under the radar things. Who are yep. the two guys? Who are the two guys they acquired this year? It's Nick Paul and it's Brandon Hagel, and they're all over the place. Their yep. shifts are outstanding all the time. Like 
everything about what they're doing works every yep. single time. And there's the pro and that's the problem with playing them is you don't get a chance to take any not, I would say any moment off. Like obviously you don't want to be off at any point in a game, but you can't afford a mistake at any point, no matter what. Right. Because even if it's not Stamkos, Kucherov, you know, and uh, you know, look, huge storyline going forward right now is whatever happens with Braden Point because that did not look good. That injury looks awful. Uh, you know, I hope it's not what I think it is. Yeah. I think, look, uh, you know what I think it is. I don't need to spell it out for everybody, you know, and I could literally probably spell it out because I'm sure it involves a few letters of the alphabet potentially. Um, it just didn't look good. And it, no. which 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 I gotta add is a, a horrific shame because yes. he's one of the most fun players in the league to watch and a big loss for them. Like let's not yeah. like Braden Point is okay. There have been periods in Braden Point's career where he's been a top five center in the National Hockey League. Um, I think this year he's probably more of a top ten guy. He's still elite, still doing elite things but not quite that special, special level he was uh, last year and then even going back to the bubble. Uh, but Braden Point, make no mistakes, is a, a high, high, high-end center in the National Hockey League. Oh, absolutely. And um, so, okay. Well, and, and look, nothing more says what playoff hockey is all about than the fact that despite how bad that looked, yep. he came back out and tried to play again. Yep. It's just absurd, and we're gonna like. That's why I even said we're gonna find out. And not the, as far as I know, I just googled it. Nothing came out today on what it is. You're not gonna we'll hear anything out. specific about what it is. You're gonna hear whether he's playing or not playing. It's that time mm -hmm. of year. You're not. You're not gonna hear anything unless they're no, shutting well, him down. Well, that's what I mean. Right. Because that that's where I'm like that's where my mind went. Are we gonna find out that he's done for the year because it was that Maybe, kind of knee injury? Because he needs surgery. Right. right. Like are they are they um, basically patching him up for next year already, or are they gonna try to see if he can? Honestly, uh, with a player that young, you still got to be careful. Right. You do. Um, Absolutely, you do. But okay. Before, I'm curious what happens before we head over to the uh, the Metropolitan Division to talk about it. Let's let's talk about this second round in the Atlantic. Uh, Tampa Bay. Against Florida. Mm -hmm. Who you got? It's I a, think it's a seven-game series. I'm going to say that off the rip. I'm leaning that way, too. I, I'll go first, give you a second to kind of put something together. I think... But you already told me who you Well, think. right. I go in seven, and I think I think Florida's going to win it. You do? Well, no, I don't. You, I would say you've been no, staying three, Pete, the whole show. You're right. Show. I have. I, I, man, I, honestly, listen... I'm going to be honest with our listeners here. We're we're about an hour and a half into the show. <laughs> I forgot about Braden Point when I talked about the three-peat thing. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I forgot that his status was such a question mark. Uh, if he comes back, if if he just tweaked something and has a day off and you know comes back at 100%, even if he misses game one, comes back by game two or game three, and is, is Braden Point, mm -hmm. I think they still win the series. Um, if Braden Point misses any sort of significant time, right? I think that swings the pendulum in the other direction. I think both of these teams are stellar. I think Florida was excellent in the first round. I think Tampa Bay was obviously excellent for pretty much the whole first round as well. I think this is a good series. Here's okay. So here's my issue with the series, kind of both folks. I told you both teams gave, gave me reason to not be convinced that uh, about them at all. 
Florida trailed too much in the first round against Washington, can't afford to do it against Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay was very much there for the taking at multiple times in that series. Toronto could have finished them. Yeah. There were plenty of opportunities for that. Like, and not even say that Florida could have, or t- that Tampa or Toronto could have finished them. It's Toronto was in a position where y- you had, some, like, first of all, Tampa had an awful game one. So it just came out on a bad foot, even said we gave it away. Yep. And then they, then they lost again in game three. And you're going, okay, it's two to one. And everything kind of evened itself out again when it was 2-2. But game three, especially the way game three went down, because it was 2-0 Tampa Bay, and Toronto pulled off a comeback. And you went, okay, we're looking at that, you know? Yep. Okay, T- Toronto's actually got something for this team. This There's something shaky about this Tampa team right now. That Like, Vasilevsky's giving up goals. This is not normal. What's right. happening? And... So I look at Tampa Bay and I go, if you show any signs that there is an opportunity, it's only going to get tougher from here to withstand what another team can do to you when the door of opportunity opens, right? When the window of opportunity is open. In Florida's case, and this is really the big thing for me with them, if they want to win this series, you better take whatever you had in the third period of game five and the third period of game six and put it all together. Because if if you're playing the way that you were in certain parts of the other games and in the other periods where it's just kind of blah and average looking and you don't look like you have the energy, I don't like your chances in this series, actually. I just I don't. I mean, at the end of the day, the thing that was most impressive about Tampa when it came down to it, especially in Game 7, was, once again, exactly the way it happened against Montreal, too. When you can close it out and you're at the point and you have the lead and all that stuff, they know exactly what they're doing. They are blocking a ton of shots. They are getting in the way of everything. They are tightening up on defense so much that there's no room to do anything. Toronto they know had how to close play. a series. Toronto had a power play in that game seven where they couldn't get across the blue line because the wall just went up. And until yep. you can even just break through the wall, you don't have a chance. Yep. Let alone anything else. So, like, good luck. Um, in this series to Florida, I, you know, I'm kind of sitting in a spot where, look, I have Florida going pretty far in the playoffs. So I want to say Florida is the pick. Okay. But there's an <laughs> element. No, there's an element of it to me where it's the heart saying Florida, the head saying Tampa. Like, okay. it's this is it's so tight. It's hard to pick one. I, I'm sticking with what I kind of said from the beginning in my own head. I'll pick Florida. But, okay. But I am not in the least bit confident about You're it. You're prepared I, to be I, wrong. Oh uh, Well, uh, look, I said seven because I always say seven when I sure. kind of feel like it's going either way. Like it's. I don't think no, any of these series are going to be easy to pick. Well, and like I said, this there's no doubt in my mind this is a long one because Florida will win games in this series. There's no way they don't. As a matter of fact, like it was actually really nice to hear John Cooper say way after the fact with the first series, like they get past Toronto, all that stuff to get ready for the Florida series and go, you know what? That might have been the most entertaining playoff series last year. And totally. he's not necessarily wrong. It was a really good series. Yeah, for sure. So and, and, and let's not kid ourselves. Florida is way better 
than they oh, were yeah. last year. And I'll be honest, I think this is the worst of Tampa's three iterations, if you include the it's two really cup-winning f- teams. It's really funny because there are people that think that this is the best that they've ever looked, and you're. I'm not sure that I'm convinced of that completely. Like, I saw flaws, I saw things that weren't going perfect, and I think I you're seeing think a lot of guys. There. I think you're seeing a lot of guys: Stamkos, Kucherov, yeah. Hedman, Vasilevsky, who have played a lot of hockey over the last three or four years. Yeah, and a lot of minutes. Sure. And it's it's just Stam- Stamkos has never been the most healthy. I'm sure he's walking wounded at this point. Kucherov's had some injury issues recently. You know, obviously missed all the last season. Blah well, blah sure. blah. That whole thing. At some point, we do have to eventually start to factor in that more guys are going to be dealing with more stuff. Right. You're talk. We're talking about a hundred, hundred and ten games a season. Yes. It's, it's that adds up quick. Well, and I look. I specifically looking at the. Um, just looking at the first round in general, the fact that there were five series that went the distance, I mean, everybody's just playing a ton. Like, Oh, yeah, teams are going to be out of gas by the yeah. time that we hit the conference finals. Well, which is why Colorado's sitting kind of pretty right now in the sense that, you know what, sure, for game one, it's not the best thing in the world that you've been sitting around for a week. So, But certainly moving, in the long run it is. Moving from round two to round three, after this next round mm-hmm. concludes, yeah, I think we'll see a real, real advantage if anybody can manage to close their series in five. Early, yes. Right. If, for example, you know, Calgary smokes Edmonton five games, I think if Colorado slogs it out with St. Louis and plays a seven-game series, I think Calgary takes a massive advantage heading into that series. Yeah, it's very possible. And Um, who knows? I mean, we'll see. It's gonna be, All right, it's gonna let's be really head to the Atlantic Div- or the Metropolitan Division before sure. we get out of here. Um, we will go back to Rangers-Penguins later because they are still battling it out in Game 7 here. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Carolina-Boston because this okay. series probably had the most uh, social media presence on it, the most kind of <laughs> uh, buzz around the series that didn't necessarily have too, too much to do with the hockey itself. Right. Um. Brad Marchand was on form in this series just as a as a pest. Sure. He was at the top of his game. He, you know what was actually kind of interesting about that, by the way? He did it without really crossing a line. Like, right. Well, he, and did it in a, he did it in a much more normal way than we've seen in the past. And he, he finally smartened up and yeah. picked an unpopular target. He picked a guy that it's pretty easy to get the guy, the people on his side for. So if you've been listening to this show for a while, you know I like a little pro wrestling. <laughs> and one of the easiest ways to turn babyface is just find a guy they hate more than you. It's pretty yeah, easy. You, yeah, you had a lot of people agreeing with uh, Brad Marchand when it came to uh, the, his target. Right, exactly. And obviously Tony D'Angelo got through, got the last laugh. They win the series. He has, he plays some decent games down the stretch. Well, and look, you got to factor it. Look, I cannot say enough about the fact that the guy put up points. Like you can't deny that. Right. That sheet say the guy contributed pretty much, you know, consistently every game. Sure. Like no doubt about it. I, I, one of the things about that series, because Boston got it tied in game four, got the series tied in game four. I thought D'Angelo that particular game was an absolute embarrassment. 
Yeah. The, yeah, the throwing the, the stick on the breakaway. The, stick, and the extra uh, shots. Not gonna, I cannot believe that he did not get a 10-minute misconduct at the end of that game. for doing He that. absolutely should have. Well, like, and then I, the the quote after, well, he's gonna score anyway. It's like, what do you, what do you want me to do? You know, it's it, it sounds like Sid awful. talking about it sounds like Sid talking about flicking away Jake Voracek's glove to start that whole melee, right? It's like, it's I don't come like on, them. man. Yeah, it's I don't like them. Right. Like, what right. am I supposed to do? Just skate away? Right. Like, I, oh, well, I didn't. Well, yeah, thanks. Right. It's just it's you know I, I thought that was awful, but. I'm not expecting maturity out of Tony D'Angelo. Right. Let's be you. let's be quite frank about the subject. I I will say this about the series as a whole. I was really, re, I was really disappointed with the way that Carolina played their first potential closeout game. That was not very good on. I agree, and so much so that it kind of by the third period and as things went along became laughable that it was that convincing like they played you know they played so much better once the series was tied up again they played so much better in game five and game seven than they did in game six when they really when when it was the first chance they had to close it out that it just you know there's a little cause for concern there with me just because it, it you know they've had series where they're dominant sure this was not dominant no, no. Uh, it actually, was also I, I, interesting. To be fair, the fact that this one went seven and we're looking at the other one that's in the seventh right now, there was, for a while, a legit possibility in my mind that the two lower seeds were going to make it. I agree. And, and I, I picked Boston to win this series, and I thought I was going to get there. Um, turns out game seven was just a great hockey game, as most game sevens are. Well, and the, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, Marshan had a five-point game and thrown in there and all stuff like that, but too many games, too many times, that trio that everybody looks to when it comes to the Boston Bruins just wasn't there. I mean, I agree. too many times. I do want to throw out one footnote from the end of that series. So would though, you say they were a little bit imperfect? <laughs> Probably. Okay. I would say. But I, I So speaking of which, I want to throw out a little footnote from the end of that series because – I don't know. I'm sure you've seen, like, in hindsight, even if you didn't see it live, I'm sure you've seen it by now. The body language at the end of that game from the Boston side, and one player in particular, kind of tells me that something big could be happening that changes the course of the Boston Bruins for a little while. Did I miss something here? Uh, we were getting hug watch like crazy from Patrice Bergeron, and I'm telling you, the body language said... I don't know what my future holds. Well, it, it, I I hope that he decides to give it another go because I honestly Patrice Bergeron's one of those guys that throughout the right I mentioned pro wrestling a little bit earlier. Even though the st- the the stable was a heel stable, right? Even though he was in the NWO and they were the bad guys, <laughs> Patrice Bergeron was always pretty cool. I mean, if look, if that was if that was really the end, I mean, we all know where what the next destination is. It's the rafters in the TD Garden and, yep. a, pla- and a plaque in the Hall of Fame. Like, yep. He's destined for all of that stuff. Because and, a front, and a front office job whenever Quebec gets a team back. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I, I, I could see him. You know, I think he, Boston's he, home. He grew up a Nordiques fan. Come on. I hear you, but I think Boston's home. And I think all right. he's going to stay there. But, but I'm just telling you, 
the the body language said quite possibly this might be it for Patrice Bergeron. And if it is, like, like I, I'm with you. I think he's got maybe, maybe one more year because yep. here's the reality of the situation, like, just career-wise. He, he's sitting on, I'm not kidding when I say this, he is sitting on an even 400 goals in his career. Wow. You can't really get much better than that, but he is, I think, I believe he's 19 shy of 1,000 points. I mean, you might get him back. I mean, if he plays he just, another year, he might just come back and refuse to shoot, <laughs> pass all season. I hear you. I mean, if he came back for one more year, he's crossing the thousand point threshold. And does he need to do anything? He honestly doesn't need to do any more than he's already done because he's won a Stanley Cup. He's already a four time, quite possibly going to be five time Selkie winner by the time this whole thing's over. It's hard to get your number retired for an original six franchise. And I think Patrice Bergeron is pretty damn close to a shoo-in. They might have a couple from that group because I wouldn't be surprised if another guy who might be retiring this offseason quite legitimately decides it's time and he gets his number up there too because... I can't... You're talking about 33, right? Yeah, of course I am. I don't know. He was the know. captain of a cup team that broke a drought. Okay, but for the original six, one cup is, isn't good enough. It's a high bar. They made three other finals while he was there. Yeah. Or two other finals while he was there, I mean. But. And they would have won one if it wasn't for Tuka Rask. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. I mean, like, like, to, like, let's say this way. There's people who would probably make an argument that Tuka Rask could get his number retired because he was that good. And I I hear you, but he I, wasn't the yeah, winning goal. Yeah. I, I don't know if he re- meets that original six bar. Um, I, I think Char's best years were – and Char is another one who, whenever he decides to hang him up, yes, he does have an eventual future home in the Hall of Fame. Oh, absolutely. All right, so I'll start with Pittsburgh because they're up here in this game. Uh, if Pittsburgh plays Carolina here, who you got? I'm sorry. I'm laughing because you just said Pittsburgh's up in a game. The Rangers just tied it. Did the Rangers score? Well, it's okay. Penguins were up most recently, so we'll yes, start I with know. them. It's, there's 545 left. The Rangers just scored. Wow. So that game's probably going to overtime. It very well could. Which is Game the, seven, overtime. Which is just glorious. Uh, um, yeah, that's why we got to finish through these predictions so we can wrap and watch I it. hear you. Um <laughs> So here's the thing. Okay, so where were we at with this whole thing? I got a little distracted. Carolina, Pittsburgh. Who you got? Um, we'll see. I don't know if it's Pittsburgh now for sure. Well, no, Carolina- but I'm saying we're starting with Pittsburgh. I'll ask you Carolina- about the Rangers next. I know. Carolina's the overall better team anyway, no matter who they play. I mentioned earlier that if one of these teams gets through in five or six games, it gives them a pretty good advantage going into the conference finals. The- I think Carolina's that team. No matter who they play, and I'll say that for the Rangers, the Ra- too. The Rangers- I will take Carolina in no more than six. Okay. Um, here's, so here's where I'm at. I'm pretty sure I said these exact words on, on the last episode when we talked about the first round. That the Rangers were kind of my dark horse. Okay. Because I really think that they've kind of got some sort of quality to them. Yeah, and Shesterkin is unreal. And he's had a great game, no question about it. He is um, unreal. Here's the thing. They do look vulnerable, the Rangers do. Pittsburgh, Certainly. the thing with Pittsburgh, if they were to advance, is that Pittsburgh, there's just that element of them where it's like that team does not go down without a fight. And they it's, just It's continue. one of those things, it's hard to bet against Sid and Gino. They're just those kinds of players. It's absolutely impossible to do it. And yep. every time you want to write that whole group off, 
they're right back there. They fire a coach and win a cup. Like, well, it's crazy. I, well, and we had this discussion at the very beginning. Yeah, no, Mike Sullivan ain't going anywhere. No, but it's, that, that's the interesting part. It, it's, it, it's like they've had moments, even this season, where it's like something's not working. Something's not there. They're like the worst of the teams that are going to make the playoffs out of the Metro. They consistently kind of were, almost, you know? Yep. Until they, for did a pass, lot of the, I mean, even, until they did pass Washington. But the point being, Even for a lot of this series, pass. they didn't have Tristan Jari. Yeah, at all. Right. He so just much, showed up tonight for Game 7. Right. But so much so that, I mean, like, what really blew my mind about the series, and this is why that's the way that this team is, is not only did they not have Jari for the entire series up until Game 7, they go in and they're starting with Casey DeSmith, and they're in the middle of overtime. It's double overtime, and he gets hurt. And now Louis Deming is going to play. Right. Immediately. In Amazing. double overtime. And they, and they ended up winning that, that game, game in triple overtime, by the they, way. They didn't lose that game. How? You know? Insanity. And it happened consistently. Louis Domingue technically won three games. Like, that's crazy to me. Uh, like, crazy. Now, there's there's been some weird stuff, you know, from the Rangers' side. Like, the way they won game six was just wild. Yeah. You know? A goal like that is crazy. So God only knows what's going to happen moving forward with all these teams. Because like I said, I kind of sense some vulnerability with Carolina. That makes me think that definitely Pittsburgh has a shot to exploit some of that stuff. The Rangers need the Rangers need a lot of help in terms of some of the big boys got to get going. Oh yeah. Like, well, Mika like, Zibanejad just scored that tying goal there. Well, so that's... The la- and he had two in the last game, so maybe he's getting it going. But you know, he's getting not, it going. You know who's not? Artemi Panarin has not been good in this series. Well, um, but it's kind of so, like you said with, well, with Florida. Um, yeah, Florida without the two Florida because Huberto was nowhere near the best player on the team. Exactly, and it didn't have to be that way. I mean, look, they're going to play. The, the thing that kind of worries me is is that both of these teams. Offer up opportunities at will. The reason you're getting a back and forth game seven like we've seen right now is because they offer up opportunities. Right. Odd man rushes. There have been breakaways. There have been like I've been seeing all this stuff as, as we're talking. There have been all sorts of things like that. They trust their goalie to have their back. They do. Carolina plays tighter defense than this. So Certainly. good luck creating opportunities when, you know, and it's it's everybody. I mean, Carolina it, look, Carolina's taken a – I was not shouldn't say taking. They took a beating in that series. Sure. Because there was a – it was physical. It was tough. There was a lot of penalties going around, and you had guys dropping left and right for, you know, maybe – I don't want to say missing a ship, but definitely being, you know, being – Damage know, was hobbled, inflicted for sure. Hobbled on the bench, needing some help getting there maybe. Like Brady Shea had to get help to the bench during the one game, and it looked bad. It looked bad. He was fine in the end, but, you know, like that kind of thing. Right, right. Like yeah, it's the playoffs, right. exactly. But regardless, it's it, it's it was like that it was that kind of series, and if they have that kind of defensive crew, and if every piece of it works, you know, not just not just Brady Shea, like who we clearly saw take like have an injury, you know, at one point during the series, but you know, Slavin and you know, and Pesci and that kind of you know that whole lineup of guys. You know, D'Angelo is not as much of a defensive-minded guy, but, you know, everybody's got to play their part. Sure, and um, you're not going to be able to run and gun through Jacob Slavin and Brady Shea. Like, you just you right. just don't. 
So right. we'll. I mean, we'll see. I, it's just, it's it, either way. It's going to be a tough one. I kind of get the sense that if it's Carolina Pittsburgh, we're looking at seven. I if wouldn't mind Carolina, it if it's Carolina Rangers. That one, you know, I like I like Carolina better than the Rangers. I so think, I kind of start leaning six there. Okay. I think um, in a similar vein to how we talked about Barkov and Huberdeau not necessarily mm-hmm. being the most effective for Florida, and you know the Rangers have kind of not had their big guys. Sebastian Ajo had a little bit of a quiet series too. Um, at times. At times, yeah, he did. He didn't disappear, but he he stepped into the background a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I think you'll see him step forward as we move on. And you know who had a really strong series for Carolina that deserves a shout out here. Seth Jarvis had a really good series. I give him a ton of credit because he doesn't look like he doesn't look his age. No, in a playoff series. No, he looks like he belongs. Um, So, I mean, here's the interesting part for me, and this will put a bow on everything because we've talked about every team that's left. Yeah, like we're we're trying to do predictions for the second round here. I could pick any of the five teams that are left in the East, and you would not surprise me if not any of them were there in the conference final. No. In like in the West, I tend to lean towards Colorado and somebody. Okay. So like I feel more confident putting Colorado there with with either Edmonton or Calgary, if that's what it is, or Edmonton, Dallas, whatever it turns into. I, I just can't get a feel on the East at all. I mean, like I, I'm struggling because it's wide open. It's bit yeah. It's. Uh, the, I mean, look, the, uh, it's wide open. The problem is is that in order to get into the dance, you needed 100 points in the standings and to be that good as a regular season team. So good luck joining the crowd. But right. the eight that are there are, I mean, they're all right there right now. I mean, and I want to say that they're all right there because, like, when when I really look at it, Florida had a better regular season than everybody else did. Tampa is still the playoff champs until somebody steps in and changes that. Like, they're better teams. Like you can do a tier ranking for what's better, but every single one of them played to some level where it was like, "Hey, something's not clicking completely. Right. Something's not there, or something." And like, like even in Tampa's case, you got to look at the fact that now you go, "Geez, maybe they lost one of their best forwards." Like, right. something's not going to be right with every single one of these teams, and it's going to be really interesting to watch. So, except maybe Colorado. So anyway, I think we need to get out of here because we got a minute left in regulation in this. Uh, yeah, it's... we well, should we talk long enough when we do the outro to get like you no, know I'm... to the to the minute so we say okay, it's definite overtime here. Yeah, sure. I'll mention something here before we leave. Um, one of the things I love about playoff hockey is mm-hmm. specifically how uh, the format of overtime. I'm not talking okay. about the five on five, this twenty minute overtime, the sudden death. That's all great. Right. I like how it's presented on television. No, okay. com- no commercial breaks. Yeah, dry it's, scrape it's at ten minutes. It keeps the game moving. Yeah, and I love it. I do. One of the things that was really interesting because I I was watching the Florida Washington game six with a buddy on Friday night, and he had told me at that point because he he like we were watching a bunch of different stuff. We had like multiple TVs going because one of the rooms where I'm at has multiple in it and stuff like that. We can sure. stream one of the games, and he kind of gave he kind of told me, hey, you know, we'll uh. Uh, like I'll I'll hang through the first overtime, and if it if it goes any longer than that, I'm gonna probably take off. Little did we know that the first overtime was gonna last three and a half minutes or whatever right. it was. Like it, it it sometimes it just happens that quickly. Like yeah. you get you get these games like you know the, like the first game of the series we're 
wait and see if it goes to overtime in game seven here where it went to overtime and then a second and then a third and it drags on. We really didn't get many of those, to be honest, by the way. No, no. Like, um, couple. Of, Toronto, I mean, Tampa, that overtime went pretty late. But a lot late. of the rest of them well, were pretty overtime, early. But it was late. The Colorado-Nashville one that went to overtime didn't last. I mean, it lasted longer than I think a lot of people would have expected, but it didn't last terribly long. No. Um, it wasn't an, It wasn't within the first five minutes. We can safely say that. But it was, you know, I think it was within ten. It was about eight minutes in or something like that, I think, is what it was. Okay. Um, and I don't really recall many other overtime games. There wasn't an overtime game in the Carolina-Boston series. No. Um. This, I believe this would be, outside of game one, this would be the first overtime game in the Ranger-Pittsburgh series, if that yep. happens. Calgary-Dallas hasn't gone to overtime yet. Uh, Edmonton-LA had the one that lasted, again, lasted, in, what, what was it, 72 seconds? Yeah, it was quick. Like, it was over before it started. St. Louis and Minnesota were all pretty, kind of were all pretty lopsided. Pretty lopsided. It wasn't the most interesting series, honestly. Yeah, it kind of wasn't so. Like it was always competitive, but so it was you got just stuff never, like that. Yeah. And I mean, you know, now we can officially say it. By the way, Game Seven of Rangers Penguins is off to overtime. Game Seven overtime, and you know what? That's a great place to leave you. We got two more weeks of high quality hockey before our next show. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, make sure to follow us on Twitter at YWT Podcast. Follow Kevin at Kevin underscore Durso. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can find the show there as well as everywhere else you find your podcasts. Spotify, SportsTalkPhilly.com, all over the place, wherever you get your podcasts. And, uh, man, I'm excited. Two more weeks of just <laughs> high-end hockey. And then things really start thinning out once we get to the conference final. Yeah. The second round still has a lot of games on. So I got so I got to preface this by saying something here because you know, first of all, every team going to the second round is very dangerously close. I mean, there's a lot of good series that are on tap here. We've talked about a couple of them. We're going to know the final matchups after, you know, maybe around midnight tonight. We'll see. I mean, Hopefully. it might not be. It might not be. You don't know. You could get right. overtime in that one too. We'll see. Um but Oh, no. Bad update from Dallas for one of your favorite players. Oh, what happened? Rupe Hintz is out for, with an upper body injury tonight in game seven. Well, oh, I'm picking, no. I'm picking Calgary. See ya. Okay, well, that's <laughs> but, great. Um, but, like, no, one of the things I'm going to – because you talk, you're talking about watching these games and things like that. Next Saturday, we're not doing a show on Sunday, which is works for me because I got a fully booked weekend of a bunch right. of, of crazy stuff going on. But next Saturday night, I'm going to be at – quite literally a hockey party if you will nice with uh some of the people that i play that my dad and i play fantasy hockey with and i will i'll probably text text the group a little bit with some stuff that's there right. because it's a pretty it's a pretty awesome setting to watch a game and we're gonna have a good time and i don't know what games are gonna be on I actually kind of i i'd heard earlier today and i'm a little surprised by this that florida tampa is starting on tuesday potentially uh, i heard it was probably wednesday oh really yeah. See, I heard Tuesday at first and possibly Wednesday. It could get pushed to Wednesday, depending on the results. Yeah, I'm not sure. God forbid but, um, the NHL let us know. No, but no, because what I'm worried about by that announcement is that Monday could be an empty day. Could be. And I don't really want that. I mean, no. at the very least, they should give us Colorado-St. Louis tomorrow. Right. But I guess they won't because they haven't even announced that series. So well, I don't, you know kind of hard to sit there and say hey by the way tomorrow you're playing right i guess we're getting tuesday and wednesday games so i guess there might not be any hockey tomorrow but we'll see maybe not 
But then after that's that, the, that's the Monday news drop. There you go. <laughs> we always but, are looking for the Monday news drop. It's that. We'll get right. that. We should we'll get, get that before overtime starts. Now. Yep, we'll get that, and then two more weeks of action, and we'll be back in two weeks to talk about it. So uh, between now and then, we'll see you.